Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optimist Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back. Uh, we're doing uh, kind of a bonus slash different episode here. Uh, we're not going to be answering a, a question, but we're going to be kind of doing a general book review. Uh, and we're going to try to do more of these as we move forward. But today we're doing The Pilgrim's Regress by C.S. Lewis. Uh, this is C.S. Lewis's first published book as a Christian. He uh, and and in, in some ways, this is Lewis's own testimony kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and it's put in dream form as he's having this dream of this character, John. Anyways, we'll, we'll get into it. But um, but yeah, so The Pilgrim's Regress, I don't know when it came out. I should have looked that up. Yeah, I, I looked know. it up. It's 33, 1933. Okay, 1933. So it's before, it's before, it's for Hitler and the war. Oh yeah. Second World War. But both Lewis and Tolkien lived through the First World War. And in yeah. fact, I think they were both in military service in the First World War. I th- yeah, I think that's that, one of the reasons they were called on to do ministries to soldiers during yeah. the Second World War. Yeah, if you hear kids yelling in the background, that's Jill, Jill Reese's Jill children. Reese's ch- kids. Okay. So, but before we get into the book, I wanted uh, I guess Nick and I wanted to talk about Optive, Optive Network, I mean, and kind of what's been happening with that. We had started it a couple months ago. Um, and then, you know, we put out a lot of articles and then it's kind of slowed down recently. Um, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the last couple of months. Uh, but I've been looking for, you know, new work and in that process, we haven't, I guess I haven't been able to post as much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did flip from the Optive Network website to the Substack website. Uh, and I, I mean, I did that because I thought that it was just a better platform and it would have been it was easier to post on there. I think it's easier for people to find it. Uh, so, I mean, there's stuff that you probably wanted to say. Though. Yeah. I mean, I would characterize it differently than that. So even yeah. between the two of us, I mm-hmm. think it's a little bit different. So one, I would say one of the, you can't preach something you don't try your best to practice and you and your wife are making a second child. Yes. Yeah, so and yeah. um, your wife can't earn all the money. Because Optive yeah. isn't profitable. Yeah, we were. Right? Right. And so you can't ask your wife to, to make all the money right. and ha- make a child inside of her, take right. care of a child right. while you pursue something that maybe in three years, five years will be right. profitable enough to support your family. So right. we can't say that we believe in families, that people right. should seek to form families and have children right. and all that kind of stuff. Or, and then and then for you to like expect your wife to do right. Like right, that. Right, yeah. yeah. So Andy just found himself in a stage of life where you just couldn't, because yeah. you, you were the main worker, you were working yeah. all the hours. Like I was trying to do content, but because I do yeah. content in my, my job and, that pays for my yeah. life. So I, I just, we should, just, I think we just, it's best to be just honest about that. Right. And Andy and I, so I think the main issue is, I just want to apologize to people who got in and, and uh, not if you, if you paid a $5 a month membership, hopefully yeah. we're still going to give you plenty of, content yeah. that you'll find that valuable. And we hope that you'll keep sponsoring because we use this money for mics and travel and yeah. stuff like that. So we can get after guests yeah. and we'd like to keep doing that. We'd like right. to grow that. So we just, yeah. we encourage you to keep right. going with that. We, we think that we've given you, right. I mean, if you get one good thought a right. month right. out of our podcast that affects your life positively bucks. in your faith, we think right. that it's worth your five bucks. So yeah. I'm not apologizing right. you people who gave gifts of like a thousand dollars or more. Yeah. Um, we just, I just want to apologize. I, right. uh, it, we can't, um, conceive, we, we could not conceive of the right. conceiving that was going to be done in Andy's marriage and some of the other mm-hmm. dynamics here. And um, we are, so I'll say two things. One is Andy and I have sunk many thousands of our own dollars in mm-hmm. this stuff and trying to get the website ready and all that yeah. kinds of stuff. I mean, hundreds so, every month for me. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah um, 
And so, and, and I put forth thousands, thousands of dollars, dollars so that yeah. we could build this up. So, so yeah. we, we had our own skin in the game. We didn't just use your money. I hope that, I hope that makes you feel better. Yeah. And, and I hope that you see the stuff that we're doing. Like we still own all the equipment, all the cameras, all right. the mics, all the things that we spent some of that right. money on to produce content, hopefully at yeah. a good quality. Um, however, uh, we, 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 I do apologize. Like some of you were like, I'm going to give this up front because this thing hopefully is going to go on for a long time and hopefully yeah. it will. Yeah. But right now we think right. um, publishing a sub stack and then continuing with the podcast, yeah. trying to pursue good um, guests and so on yeah. is a sustainable level for yeah. us. It's still unique in the yeah. sense that we feel like we're going to produce isn't exactly like mm-hmm. something you can find almost anywhere else. Yeah. And we think it's still worth doing. It's, it's, it's engaging and helpful for me and my own growth and what I'm thinking yeah. about. And then sharing that with you, I think is helpful. Mm-hmm. So, um, so our plan is to continue with the podcast, continue with Substack, and try to grow that slowly. Yeah. And so we hope that, um, you'll participate in this. We hope that yeah. you'll do so financially still, but we want to just be really honest mm-hmm. that this was not sustainable for me to live my life sustainably, mm-hmm. take care of my children, my wife, and, mm-hmm. and really care for my church yeah. and for Andy to do it as well, given the life stage right. he was in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, um, there's, it's right now I think it's all about like timing and pacing. We're just going to slow things down. I mean, for the time being, but as, um, I mean, we have some cool interviews coming up next week. I'm going out to, uh, do an interview with Patrick Deneen, uh, who wrote a book called why liberalism failed. And that is, that was on Barack Obama's top 10 reads of 2018. I mean, that was huge. Uh, and it, and it's really relevant for Christians. Yeah. Because he's the, a Catholic and it's that. Yeah. We yeah. always think, we often think of like, anyway, I think we're talking about an interview you're going to do, but I, I actually right. think that, so, but that's going to be a different podcast. Andy is trying to, trying to develop his own podcasting voice as an interviewer. Yeah. And so he's right. going to be working on some of these guests and interviewing right. them himself. Maybe like once a month doing like mm-hmm. a special interview with, with someone random. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, but we also have a list of people that yeah. we are going to talk to. Yeah. Like we did with Sam. Shoot, I can't think of uh, right Samuel now. Gregg. Yeah, Sam Gregg. Sam Crabtree was a year ago. Yeah, We've done we a, a bunch of Sam's, different yeah. ones. So anyway, yeah. we're, we're moving forward. We are still yeah. going to try to produce at, yeah. at least weekly, but sometimes bi-weekly content. Yeah. That is every other yeah. week, fortnightly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of where we are. So for those yeah. of you who like gave right. a good bit of money up front, I just, I apologize right. that it did not turn quickly and, and um, into what we hoped. Right. Uh, we did not think... Right sustaining the website was sustainable mm-hmm. and it's very expensive i mean there's yeah. like all these monthly expenses that we andrew and i and we looked at it we were like okay we got what what stuff can we like just strip back to the bare minimum mm-hmm. and try to still put out consistent month month to month consistently con uh you know written content podcasting um and i and just for more transparency uh the transparency the i stopped working in june to fully pursue this yeah. but you know we got pregnant or andrea got pregnant uh and i can't remember when it was but she's now through her first trimester or something mm-hmm. like that so she you know it was just like now we needed to transition into me it's not a wise job and, it's not yeah. wise to go for your dream right when you're now, having multiple right. children right. in rapid succession right. in the first three years yeah. of your marriage it's right. just they're, they're, right. your kids can't pay the price for this so i so even I, our I, marriage i mean it's affected our marriage yeah. so i so i so we're gonna keep going we're yeah. gonna do it through the sub yeah. stack medium yes. if you have any yeah. issue with that they can email you at yeah. uh andy at optive network.com like if you're like where's the sub stack i'm not seeing the thing blah yeah. blah blah. i'll put a link in the description mm-hmm. in this podcast yeah. go over there and check it out yeah, yeah. we hope that you'll continue your patronage because right. we are going to continue to create yeah. um 
stuff and that money most of the money goes to things like andy traveling somewhere to interview somebody yeah, or something like that it, right. none of us have ever made a yeah. dollar from this no so um close. anyway so we just want to give you the background yeah. we wanted to talk about the elephant in the room yeah and yep. make sure that yep. we're being straight with everybody yeah yep um cool 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 okay so right, so we can dive in on yeah the pilgrims on. regress this is obviously c.s lewis we kind of discussed it but um I, yeah it's his first book and it's interesting i think at some point in in earlier podcasts you you mentioned that this was, and I, it might not have been you, but I thought you mentioned that this was his, this was very risky for, for him writing as his first book as a Christian, because he was kind of just going at all of the intellectuals that he was constantly surrounded by in the universities. I want to say that pe- some people said this was the reason why he never, he didn't get the kind the level of, because one of the schools, I want to say it was Oxford. Where he was up for like, I think it was the chair of the department oh, at one point. So he was like a tutor and a yeah. lecturer or whatever. And it came to the point where he could be the chair of medieval literature. I want to say this is at Oxford. And he was denied the chair. And you think it's because of this? this and I think that's probably the reason he ended up at Cambridge. Because he taught, I think he taught at both. And I want to say Cambridge was later. Mm. So anyway, yeah. And, and, and the people credited because basically everybody in the university was one of the North, northern men in this mm-hmm. book. Right. He basically said most of English culture is the southern, the northern part of the southern part of the map in this book, which is like mm-hmm. romantic, like full in romanticism mm-hmm. and trying to dress up licentiousness hmm. into something that looks like it's intellectual or upstanding or whatever, yeah. or artistic or beautiful, but isn't yeah. really. Yeah. And then most of the people, most of the academics are, mm-hmm. are these are these um, pale men mm-hmm. north of the center line who have left true romanticism mm-hmm. or beauty for rationality. And they're trying oh, to get ro- gotcha. the romantic out of the rational and you can't. That's the three so pale the meta- men. Right. Okay. The, the, the three pale men are the most extreme versions of that until oh. you get to full barbarism or Nazism. Oh, really? Right? Okay. So that's so, okay. Well, and we'll get because, to that. Because, because one of the, one of the things that's really important to recognize is, um, but we're going to talk about this when we talk about what, what the brown girls are. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to say also, too, I was reading up on some of the criticisms of this book. And later on, Lewis did say that the main character is named John. And it was kind of supposed to be kind of the every every man, kind of just a very ordinary guy. And Lewis later on was like, I didn't realize that not everybody came to faith through this whole experience. So he recognized that John wasn't actually the everyman. John was, John was very specific to C.S. Lewis himself. And so uh, I thought that was kind of funny because C.S. Lewis is like a genius and he's trying to write in like a normal, ordinary guy. And he writes this guy who goes through the most insane story ever. It's really hard. Okay. (laughs) Listen, listen, it's really hard if you're not the everyman to try to figure out what it's like to be an everyman. Like, because that's like, it's like, like my journey spiritually is, is almost useless to share with people. Yeah. Um, I have to like use what, ha- what, what I went through as like a sim as, as a bunch of symbols. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. people are like, what, what are you talking about? Right. Most people just have, so like, I really connected with this book. Call. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I, if I would, I would have loved to have had this book in college though. I don't know if I would have understood it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lewis has, I think sometimes like Lewis assumes all these trends of thought mm-hmm. from the enlightenment forward and yeah. in romanticism and all these poets and mm-hmm. medieval writers and mm-hmm. that, you know, these people like mm-hmm. the, the education assumed in this book 
is incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why, like, um, there's a, there's a version of this book called the Wade annotated edition mm-hmm. where there's a lot of like footnotes and like yeah. marginal notes. And if you are not yeah. versed in West, like Western literature and the, in the thought of romanticism and it's, and it's like, um, if, if you're younger than 40, get yeah. that version. If you've gone to public school <laughs> in the last 60 years, just yeah, get the that weight one. annotated edition, like it'll have a lot of these, like there's one guy in this, I forget, I forget which, which he is. He has the servant mm-hmm. and, um, anyway, but like he's constantly saying Latin phrases. Yeah. Just constantly. Yeah. And, and Lewis is using that to kind of make fun of this guy because it's an air of, of deep intellectualism because he's mm-hmm. quoting Latin. Yeah. But the guy, but, the, but there's nothing to the stuff he's saying. Mm-hmm. And so you can read that. And like, I know a lot of Latin phrases mm-hmm. specific, specifically ones in Western literature and in philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I knew about half of the ones. Oh, in really? That. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, de- it's, it's a, it's, I guess there's a lot there. Also, I want to say clearly by the title of the book, it's a play on uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Pilgrim Progress. Progress yeah. um, and this is, this is their, I mean, Pilgrim's Progress. I, my dad wrote a test when we were little, but it's the story of, is it John in, in, in that or not? Who's the main character? Christian? No. I want to say his name is Pilgrim. Is it Pilgrim? I can't remember. Okay. Now, yeah. And he's journeying and he comes across characters who have names like, you know, uh, who's the guy with the, with the, no, is he carrying the bag? He's carrying it. He's carrying the bag. Okay, I got to read that again because that's that's been a long time. But basically, it's kind of a play off that. Um, okay. Yeah, it's like 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 there's like worldly. Yeah, and like, worldly and, and like he goes to a place called Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair, which is like yeah. a fair that is like like makes vanity seem like the most exciting thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, if, but is, if you have any substance, they have to kill you because yeah. you'll ruin the whole fair. You yeah. Know? It, so huh. Pilgrim, I mean, Pilgrim's Progress is still universal. Like you could read Pilgrim's Progress and all the sins, yeah. all the dynamics are still yeah. the same. Yeah, yeah. But I would argue intellectually speaking, all the stuff in Pilgrim's Re- Regress is all the same too. Oh yeah. It's all the same yeah. now. It's, it's called by slightly different names, Yeah. but that's mm-hmm. part of his humiliation of it. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the the main plot storyline of this book. Okay. Uh, well, I think we, we start in the main character is John. I want is he like a teenager? He's kind of a kid, right? He's, yeah, he starts. Well, he starts out as like a young child, a young child when, when he's in um, Puritania. Yes, and his Puritania. parents. So like he has like a family member die, and there's this whole section yeah. about like how how do they think about that? Like where has he gone? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, and why why is there death? Because and yeah. I think one of the reasons he starts with death is because death is in some ways a focal point of romanticism. So, Mm. okay. So conceptually, this book is about the pursuit of beauty. Mm -hmm. Now this, I think this is helpful because there is a, there was a discussion. One of my staff members went to recently about the different generations. Mm -hmm. And they said that, um, Gen X like was focused on like what was right or wrong or what was like true, true or not. Right. Mm. That the millennials were, were then more focused on justice Mm. and that, and, but that pursuit hasn't gone very well either. No. And that Gen Z has focused on beauty. Hmm. Like maybe if we can figure out what's beautiful, then we could know what was just and true and good. Do you think that's, do you think that that's accurate? That doesn't resonate with me, but uh, what yeah. does resonate with me is that all the human heart desires truth, goodness. and beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Like that yeah. it asks questions about what's real. Mm-hmm. It asks questions about what is good and bad mm-hmm. that it's, we're structured, our hearts are structured morally and our minds are structured morally mm-hmm. and that we want the, the sublime. We want to 
have elevated experiences to the ultimate elevated experience. And death seems to be a, um, an attack on all three of those Mm. that it like, it destroys the true Mm. because it it seems like it makes it meaningless. Like the first chapters of Ecclesiastes, like a a live dog is better than a dead man, right? Like that death renders irrelevant to what's true Mm. or false in a way. It it feels Mm. that way at least. And then good and bad, like, the good die mm-hmm. when the the evil go on living, right? Yeah. Like that's in yeah. the Psalms, it's in the Bible and in numerous places. Job talks about this, right. that like, you know, the wicked have healthy lives and right. So, it's, the, so yeah. the, the death of, and, and so this is between world war one and world war two. Right. right. And so people saw an entire generation of young men die in world war one. Mm-hmm. In fact, very close friends of Tolkien and Lewis. Lewis, Lewis had one of his friends, mothers living with him for decades because he told his friend when he was dying on the battlefield, bleeding to death in his arms, that he, he would take, take care, care of his mother. Wow. Right. Or right. his mother. And I think, I think it might've been one of his sisters too. And his sister mm. took like 30 years to get married. Wow. And so he like, so I don't remember the yeah. exact details, but like this, this is like these guys lives. Okay. Tolkien yeah. lost like two of his, two of his three closest friends died in world war one. Right. Um, that that's covered in the movie, in the movie about Tolkien. I don't and know then, what, what's what, what movie. I can't remember. Lily Collins is his wife in the movie. It's, it's, okay. it's, it came, it came out recently. I can't think of the name of it, but like, um, but anyway, so both of these, these guys were deeply affected by death and war. And also Lewis himself lost his mother at a very young age. And that deeply affected his understanding of the world and of God, that the world was not a benevolent place because his own mother died. Like the one who cared for him and the mother is the romantic is, is, the mother figure for most human beings is the focus of the romantic energy. That yeah. is that the, the wife, the woman represents beauty unto justice, mm-hmm. unto truth. Whereas the, the traditional masculine figure, truth unto goodness, unto beauty. Hmm. And, and men come together that way. Men yeah. and women come together that way. So, so the mom shows the nurturing heart, the mm-hmm. loving heart, mm-hmm. care, mm-hmm. empathy, like these sorts of like, like the feeding him from her very body. This mm-hmm. like that, that, that is like the beauty of belonging and sharing and mm-hmm. being loved and being one, another person's beloved. Mm-hmm. Those things are wrapped up in this maternal action, right? Yeah. That, the, that a mother offers her child and then his mother dies. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Tolkien, like he loses his father. Oh, he so struggles Tolkien. more, I think with ultimately with the concept of fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lewis loses his mother. Yeah. Right. And so in, in I've England, never heard Lewis talk about his dad though. Did, did he have a no, good relationship? I think his father? dad was a pretty stern man. Okay. It's a pretty stern Irish man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, is that, so death enters in the scene and the question is what, how is death handled? Yeah. And John, the character in the story lives in Puritania. Yeah. And so basically they don't really talk about what happens to this guy who dies other than that he goes over to the mountains mm-hmm. because the landlord has evicted him. That's what, yeah. that's, that's the characterization of death. Mm-hmm. Your uncle got evicted by the landlord, but yeah. the landlord is a very good person. And for context here, the the they live in Puritania. The there's all these rules in Puritania that nobody really understands, mm-hmm. and the rules were put in place by what everybody just calls the landlord. The landlord, right? And uh, you don't really know who the landlord is. They're just talking about the landlord. The right. landlord made this really made the landlord. Lord we live on his rule. land and he's we very good to let land. us live here. Yeah. He's very good to let and that's us live the, here. That's the explanation for everything. Yes, and in yeah. some ways that is a depiction of English Calvinism. Yeah, yeah. Because the idea is, is because of the sovereignty of God, everything that God said is justified because he's the creator. Yeah. And because he's the creator, everything else about God is justified. Right. So if evil comes into the world and you're like, well, what about all this evil? It's like, well, God created this world. Yeah. You don't even have to exist. Hmm. You have nothing to say. 
right? right? Which on one level is true. Right. The idea that we even understand what we're talking about is very dubious, right? right? But on another level, you can see how when you depict it from the perspective of the child in Puritania, this mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. This well, very good landlord right. is evicting his uncle, mm-hmm. right? But he's very good. Mm-hmm. And his uncle may have disobeyed one of the rules, but we don't even know. Well, and he's being rules? evicted. That is why, that is why in, the, in a life where we're seeking beauty and belonging and love, mm-hmm. why do people die? Mm-hmm. Why does the good landlord let people die? And so you can mm-hmm. see that even for the young heart, when you get bad answers and there's mm-hmm. no depiction of beauty and how it's pursued and received, death is an insurmountable thing to overcome. Right. In the question of beauty or what life means. So what, and it drives people to licentiousness, which is why these, he ends up in the arms of the brown girls. Right. Were these, um, and before we get to that, I just was going to ask, are these, not all these rules are made by the landlord. Are, are, are some of these, or were they all made by the landlord? Because I, I wonder. He doesn't know. He's just told that. He are. just told us. So right? it could be. It, his argument, yeah. so Lewis was implicitly arguing as much of this is made up by the Puritanian church. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and there is no deep connection between what they're really saying about, and, and what's, what's clear to him is they don't believe what they're saying. Hmm. Right. Because when he goes to the, the vicar, right. The, the priest, cause it's, cause he asks questions, parents send him to this pastor. Right. Yeah. And he's, and, and he depicts the pastor as having a mask yeah. that he puts on and takes off. He puts on the mask. He says very important things about God. Yeah. And then he takes it off and asks him silly questions and, and acts as though the stuff he's going to say when he puts the mask on doesn't even matter. Huh. And so he's saying they're basically, yeah. there are these pastors who basically like when they're in the pulpit, or when they're like, quote, speaking for yeah, God, yeah. they're like very stern and they say things about the landlord. And it feels like they're upholding this weird system that they work for the landlord. Yeah. Right. Huh. They're all, it's almost like they're the oppressor. And then they take off their formal mask and then they're buddy, buddy, just like you. And they yeah. say, oh, there's and, and it basically says, there's nothing to all this crap I'm telling you. Yeah. And Lewis is like, that's because how their character most, that because they're not. And even their words, their words, yeah. how they're talking. And that's how it. a lot of pastors are. They, they actually lose their belief in God, mm-hmm. but they believe that religion is still kind of important and they don't yeah. know what other work they would do. Yeah. And okay. so they basically they get up in the pulpit or they when they talk religiously, they say God stuff. Yeah. And they act like they're supporting, quote, the landlord, because yeah. essentially what they believe is they're you, a lot of them are like conservative of heart. They're like. Like our society needs structure. We need to believe yeah, in something. Yeah, this yeah. is kind of important. Rules are good. And yeah. Rules, from yeah. Getting into and so yeah. they act like they're supporting them, but yeah. then they, they don't, you, it's not really coming out of a deep place right. in them and young people, especially key in on that. And they mm-hmm. realize there's something, there's something terribly wrong with Puritania. Mm-hmm. Now, by the time you get to the end of the book, what you realize is all of the rules in Pur- Puritania, what Puritania is doing in form is all actually true, mm-hmm. but there it's corrupt and dead. And, and therefore it has no beauty. Because it doesn't produce beauty. It, it right. produces confusion and kind of a fake sort of mask on, mask off lifestyle. Right. And so the mm. dead man, go, quote, goes up to the mountain where the landlord lives, mm. but he has no capacity to see the island as the same thing as the, or the mountain as the same thing as the island, which is the depiction of beauty in his mind. The mm. two do not connect. Mm. And so he cannot connect what happens in death our connection to God, what that means in life, why we would have any rules to begin with. None of that connects for him. So he's completely lost in his pursuit of beauty. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in his romanticism, he first looks to the lowest level of the romantic. Right. Which is basically to drink to what Pascal called lick the earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Like full licentiousness. Yeah. Right. And that's often what happens when people leave religion right. is they go, well, if religion isn't true and then its rules aren't true, and it's therefore underlying morality isn't true, then what is? Right. Right. Maybe pleasure is everything. Yeah. And as long as they don't really hurt other people, mm-hmm. right, then seeking pleasure is like the biggest thing. Yeah. And 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 that's 
that's how the human mind usually goes with this. Right. And I mean, that leads into the next part of the book. And that was, it was. Right. So John begins to explore. He begins to explore. And there's this rule that you can't get. This is like one of the most terrifying parts of the book. I was listening to it on audiobook, yeah. driving home from somewhere, <laughs> like the middle of the night. And this is like, uh, this is terrifying. So I think there's like a corn, there's a field that he's not supposed to ever pass or a fence that he's not supposed to ever Yeah, or a pass. road. I can't remember now. Yeah. Yeah. A road or and fence. there's like a wood and he's yeah. not supposed to go into the wood. Yeah. And he goes into the wood and there's this a brown girl there. Mm -hmm. And he, through a series of multiple nights going back to see this girl, he starts having sex with her. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back the next time and then there's two girls. Right. Or isn't there like, there's little girl, like. Yeah, he, there's children. At some and, point, he comes back, and he when he begins to realize oh, yeah, he's, he's yeah. unsatisfied with the relationship. Yeah, all of a sudden, these like dozens of little little brown children. children are coming out of the woodwork, and they're his the woods. kids, right? He right. was because he's had right. sex with them multiple she's, times. Because she's like, "What did you think that I was infertile?" Uh, yeah, right. It was that's terrifying. That part yeah. of the book is terrifying because he never knows that he never. Yeah, it's not like he has sex with her once. Yeah, and then there's a little brown kid. And, yeah. Right. So okay. So first of all, I, we need to deal with the color thing just because. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, is 1933, was... and okay. So the way, the way a lot of people in England would understood the nature of culture is that, oftentimes the further south you go, into hotter climates, you got hotter cultures, or and in those cultures there tend to be a greater focus on expression, passion. And so on. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to be more acceptable. And so they, so when English people travel to places like even South, to, like Italy, like an mm -hmm. Italian girl would mm -hmm. be a brown girl, right? Because yeah. she would have dark olive skin, yeah. darker yeah. eyes. She yeah. wouldn't have like that. So, so you, so you do, if you look at this, you don't have to think, oh, this is an African girl, yeah. right? A girl mm -hmm. of African descent. No. You can just think this is a Southern Spanish girl yeah. or a Southern Italy girl from Southern Italy, like yeah. from Sicily. Yeah. She has dark hair. She has dark olive skin yeah. to, to the like, the Danes, like the people from like right. the northern part of Europe, yeah. these are brown girls, right? Yeah. And in right. places like Italy, where my mom is from, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of passion and expression and like yeah. so on. And that's a big part of Mediterranean yeah. culture mm -hmm. and like cult cultures like Israel and the Middle East and mm -hmm. even southern cultures when you get down to India and Africa and so on. In fact, even today, and, and this is also part of Scots-Irish culture, even though that's farther north. But like I was reading a book by Andrew Tate. Right, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Tate? Tate's no, guy. Not who Andrew Tate. Everybody. Albert Tate. Albert Tate. Have multiple wives. So Albert Tate is a pastor, African American pastor, and he wrote a book recently on multi multicultural ministry. And he yeah. basically he said he said when he was in a choir at a like an elite school, he was one of the only black kids in the choir. And when his choir won, he and his other black friend like jumped up and hooted and like and the rest of the team just looked at them like they were crazy and they were all white. And yeah. he said. He, he said that that was an example of like whiteness, like white supremacy, because he's like, I wanted to express my happiness in winning. Mm -hmm. And they were like, and, and the, like white people win smugly is mm -hmm. basically what he says. Right mm -hmm. now. Listen, a lot of the stuff Tate says in this, in that book is really, really good. In fact, if you're, if you want to listen to or read a book on multi-ethnicity in the church, I think it's called how we love matters or something like that. Mm -hmm. Albert Tate. So it's, I think it's a good book. There's stuff in it. I disagree with, but overall good tone, good book, a lot of great points. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but this point, I think he's profoundly wrong, right? He says like, this is what happens. And he's like, the white people are like, no, no, you like show how that you're better than everybody else by not doing that. Right now. That is not yeah. why white people do that. Right. As a, as a member of a Northern European culture, yeah. that's not why white people do that. No. White people think it, white people who are from that kind of a Northern European culture think it's unseemly to celebrate your victory because it's, it's unhumble. Like you could have won yeah. by a margin of 1%. 
Right. And for you to like glory in that in the face of the people who all just heard that they lost mm. is just an unseemly thing to do. Yeah. They all want to cheer too. They all worked maybe just yeah. as hard as you, but like in, in the contest you prevailed. Yeah. Right. Maybe even not by much of a margin. Yeah. And so you, you, you receive your victory graciously. Yeah. And by doing that, you don't hoot and holler in any way that could seem like in your face. Yeah. And I don't, right? I mean, I, I actually wouldn't even agree with that. And, and I, so, yeah. but, it's, but he saw that as like this thing, like, it's just, it's just, and the a, thing is, is oppression. he right or is he wrong? Like you, now you could say, look, it is a repressive culture to say when you win, you can't celebrate. Yeah. And, and if, if Albert was here, he's like, no, Nick, don't you think it's crazy? That you yeah, but I would something. say I grew up in a white culture, like a mm-hmm. super white area, and I grew up in a family that was way more expressive. And so I had found myself in situations all the time where I was the one hooting and hollering for things I thought were naturally okay, and everybody else around me was like, "Dude, shut up!" And they're all white, so it doesn't seem right. to me like that's a right because in white on, culture, that that's a yeah. Scots Irish versus English yeah. division, right? Because mm-hmm. Scots Irish is just more wild and woolly. It tends yeah. to be more lower class, less educated. Yeah. When yep. you get up into these like higher educated, mm-hmm. stricter, like there's more implicit yeah. rules. Yeah. A lot of these kinds of dynamics start to obtain. Or or alcohol, <laughs> alcoholic is I think people suppress emotion emotion through right. alcoholism and then when anybody shows any emotion it makes everybody feel uncomfortable i yeah. think that that plays into it as well yeah but like a good uh, one of the books i liked for this is hillbilly elegy by jd oh, vance that right? movie is amazing too the, the hillbilly yeah, elegy movie yeah my family and i listened to that book on like road trips there are a lot of efforts in the book okay. that was the book that andrea said as a freshman at uw that's like the the book that they gave out, like one book to all the freshmen. That was the book that they gave out. I think that was a great choice, especially yeah. for kids going to UW. Yeah, she was surprised by it because it's a pretty conservative type yeah. book. It's oh, like, yeah, he's a Republican. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, that speaks well to the people who made that choice because I, it, but it was a big book that year, partly for that reason. And so one of the things that J.D. Mm-hmm. Vance says in that book is like, he was from a place where he knew people who, when somebody like slighted somebody else, they went and cut them down the back with a chainsaw mm-hmm. and put them in the hospital for months. Like he's, he's like, listen, I came from a Scots-Irish culture. It was like, yeah crazy (laughs) like and there was and it was full of alcoholism yeah low education a lot of violence yeah right but also a lot of religion yeah and like but like a weird religion Mm. that allowed for all that stuff yeah you know a lot of broken families like and so as you like as a family develops in english culture it's this is also almost taken to a monstrosity sort Mm -hmm. of level but it's kind of like all the there's all these rules that create quote civilization Mm -hmm. where you keep your place or move higher in order mm-hmm. to do that, you got to obey all these rules yeah. and they are, they yeah. aren't, a lot of them are necessary. Mm-hmm. And so, so as Lewis comes to the side and he's talks about quote, brown girls, he's, he's going to contrast that with pale men. Mm-hmm. So the contrast here is you have brown girls and they represent like raw passion, mm-hmm. right? Which starts with sexual desire, which if is I, rooted in some way yeah. in sexual desire. If I were going to equate, you know, something to a generation or say what a generation what Gen Z is like, I would say it's like the brown girls. It's that raw passion. And, you know, I don't think it's, it's the pale men. I think, yeah, no, I agree with that. Expressive, open, let's just try it and try everything. I agree with that. But the pale men create the brown girls. Oh yeah. I'm not, I, because of pale, yeah. And one of the things that Lewis is willing to concede here is he's saying in this area of like passion, of human passion, it may be animalistic. It might in some Mm -hmm. ways be low. It is definitely not satisfying, Mm -hmm. but it is fertile. The thing about that, this, well, while listening to it, I, I, I did not even expect, and this is probably because I grew up in this generation where we 
are doing our best to detach the consequences from the actions. Mm -hmm. So if you are having sex, you can just like, get an abortion or, you know, you don't have to right. deal with the consequences. And when he came back that time and he was like ready to cut this relationship off yeah. and he comes back and all these little girls are there now or right. that he's created. And he can't get away from it. It's like the most terrifying thing I've ever re heard. Like, oh, I, yeah. When I heard that, so I've, I've, I've listened to this book twice. I haven't, I haven't read through it yet. Um, and I do think if you're listening to this, listening to it on Audible is it, or like wherever you get, it's you get it from. Yeah, the, yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, I listen to all this stuff on like 2.0 and I could do yeah. that because I know all these philosophers he's referring mm -hmm. to. Um, but like listening to this book, I think for a lot of people is going to be much more doable because yeah, some of these parts will make perfect sense to you and yeah. you'll be like, oh my gosh, that's really interesting. And the other parts yeah. you'll be like, what the heck just yeah. happened? And right. you just, just listen past it. Yeah. Just keep moving. Yeah. So, that's, so yeah. it's important to recognize that, that Lewis does talk yeah. about the Brown girls. You'd be like, well, that's so mean. Like, and, and is it kind of a little racist? But yeah. when he's, but when he gets to the pale men, it's just who a, are him. Yeah. These are lifeless, living, dead, yeah. starving, infertile men. Yeah. So like, mm. be careful about being like, oh, that's race brown girls. Ugh. Yeah. Right. It's like, okay, first of all, it's a symbol. Yeah. Two, it's not necessarily a black girl. Right. Or a Latino girl or something. Right. Like you could just as easily see it as Southern Europeans, and he doesn't yeah. specify, and he doesn't say black. He says yeah. Brown. You have to look at it as like he's saying something culturally, or or right. or as about people's right. personalities. Or right. And that association of like that Southern cultures are quote hotter cultures, yeah. they're more expressive and passionate. That's the sort of, like as I've read black like done my readings in black literature. I've, I've been trying to read like one book every couple of months in mm. African American stuff, mm. and one of the themes that comes up again and again is our culture is more expressive and that should be okay. Hmm. And don't treat us like we're not disciplined. Hmm. Right. Which is, which is difficult. Right. Cause if you thought about Scott's Irish culture, right. you would say one of the cool things about Scott's Irish culture is that they've produced art and a number of things that are rooted in expression and like, being expressive. Which, which, what arts are you talking about? Like Irish yeah, so like certain kinds of music, certain kinds of dance, oh, yeah. like like English dance and Irish yeah. dance. There's a lot more moving and jumping and yeah, right in yeah. Irish dance okay. than in English dance. In English yeah. dance, it's like very controlled. You're walking this way, you're yeah. walking that way, you're taking a hand, you go yeah. around in a circle. It's very like meter, yeah. right? Whereas like if, like Irish and Scottish dances yeah. are like they're not like that at all. Yeah, I mean, my grandma went to Ireland and you know, there's all these little pubs and and bars and there's live music and stuff, but it's just right. like. It's just kind of a little crazy. It's always right. a little bit crazy. Whereas I'm sure if you go to England, things are more tight knit. And so at least historically, I mean, yeah. there's, there's hardly an England left, but yeah, yeah. There's, that's, yeah that's Europe true. is interesting. Now my, like I, I, my two daughters and my mom just got back from Italy. Really? And there, it was hard to recognize it as a country. Really? Like, yeah. I mean, cause Italians haven't had children for 50 years, basically. I mean, their birth rates are super low. Really? And so like they that. couldn't find Italian, they, they found Italian food. But hardly any good Italian food. Really? They were in there in like Naples, Rome, and they're like trying to find good food and they couldn't. It was it's like it's like that old world feel had kind of begun to dis has begun yeah. to disappear. That part of that's sucks. globalism, part of that's COVID, part of that's yeah. the fact that Italy was the number one tourist destination this year. And so I'm sure these restaurants were like killing themselves. Yeah. But like my, my mom was like, Yeah, something of Italy is gone. Really? And hmm. and I don't think it can ever be gotten back yeah right well, maybe, and that's happening in england too england is has england has received a lot of immigration yeah and in some ways that's creating a melting pot and england in some ways has always been a melting pot like the danes yeah. took it over then the norwegians and then yeah. the and then the french like the french literally took over the country 
for a couple hundred years. Like, so England has always been a place that was a melting pot from a Northern European perspective. And it's become, so I'm not saying it's necessarily bad. It does feel like the French, but the old England is gone. You wouldn't put the French in, in the cat. You put them closer to the Irish than to the English. France is interesting because it has both Northern and Southern European dynamics. They were because Normandy like Normandy in, in France is literally Viking country. It's as Northern European as you can get. But by the time you get down to the Southern border, it's basically Spanish and Italian, right? In terms of like who they are in in like old Gaul. But their revolution was just for the sake of like, we want to do whatever we want. I mean, that that was, it was like a romantic revolution. Yeah, it was, yeah. French and English culture are different in that sense. Yeah. 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 So, but, okay, yeah, so, so to get back to the issue of like, so when, yeah. when you look at brown girls, when you listen to this, some, some people start listening to this, they'll hear brown girls and go, that's racist. I shouldn't even be listening about. to this. Right, right, right. Don't think, don't think black girl. Yeah. Think Sicilian girl. Yeah. Everything right? in this book is symbolic. I mean, the names mm-hmm. of the characters, the landlord, Mr. Enlightenment. Right reason virtue they're, yeah. they're all symbolic right. they're not and supposed the, to and the, what lewis is trying to say about our lives is he's saying look if you give yourself to pe- just passion yeah just lust if you just if you if you walk out of bad religion puritania into the woods and you just like make love to whatever you find there mm-hmm. as, and i mean that symbolically not just literally so yeah. literally yes having sex but like other like just kind of going into the world and any just ideas any eating the forest so to speak yeah. licking the earth as pascal said yeah. that what happens is is that one, it's not, you find out it's not what you were really looking for. Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the things we did not see yet is as he's, as he's like in Puritania, he has a dream about an Island that is incredibly beautiful, that captures his heart that he wants to pursue. And he knows he has yeah. to leave Puritania to do it because mm-hmm. it's somewhere else. It's this and desire. He, yeah. It's, right. a, it's a desire, which later on they talk about the difference between hopes and desires, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, maybe with, yeah. with wisdom. Yeah. And it was, that was very confusing. Cause I think CS Lewis's point was, don't crush your desires because your desires are trying to lead you towards something that's actually right inherent in you that you that you're trying to fulfill something, which I understood that, but I was like, but your desires are also, you know, can get really confused and, and jacked up. And so I get what he was saying. But yeah, there's this island and he right. and and what he sees on what does he see on the island? I can't remember. Because it be I mean, I mean beauty. The the, the island be- is the yeah. personification of beauty, of beauty. Right. Yeah. And so he knows he has to leave Puritania because that beauty is not there. Yeah. Right. So there are a lot of people who like look at legalistic or unreflective or not religion that does not lead to beauty. Yeah. And it, they go to Puritania. I think it's important to listen to this. Our young people in the church will only really stay and not be prodigal. If they find beauty in the church. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because this is, you, you would think that the whole deconstruction movement, it feels like a new movement, but this is exactly what this kid was doing. That John grew up in a, I mean, I think a lot of Christians, like you grew up in a more ideological Christian family where mm-hmm. the parents are just like, just don't have sex or just don't, you right. know, don't get into fights, get good grades, do all these things. And you know, I, I grew up in that and I was like, what you asked the question, why? And a lot and you know, I was in a small evangelical church in a small town and some would probably say it was a little bit more fundamentalist in certain ways, but mm-hmm. they just couldn't answer these questions because a lot of these people just don't have the edu- like the, the theological education to mm-hmm. give you thorough answers. But what happens is then I think C.S. Lewis was spot on. You just start to go. I mean, for a lot of guys and a lot of women, mm-hmm. they it's, it literally is the sex. They like the, the, they prostitute them out themselves mm-hmm. out sexually, which destroys their philosophies and ideologies because they become 
animalistic and dehumanizing and all yeah. these terrible things. Yeah. If you look at the map in the back of the book, right? Like, like different places described as different forms of sensuality. Yeah. So Lewis believes yeah. that you'll, you'll descend into sensuality, which is essentially, mm-hmm. um, the worldview and lifestyle and character formation directly in relationship to the immediate demands of your senses. And for human beings, though the strong, those strongest desires are for dominance, food Mm -hmm. and sex. Yeah. Essentially. And so you'll, you'll naturally like, like keen on those things. Mm -hmm. But what Lewis says is when you do that, what you, what happens is you find this isn't the beauty you were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. It's very unsatisfying. And it produces and it's fertile in all the wrong ways. Yeah, right. It's it has consequences right. that you did not expect. Yeah. So Lewis talks about John experiencing that there's lots of little brown girls, mm-hmm. right? And then secondly, he can't get away from her. He tries to get away from her and he can't. Like she keeps enticing yeah. him and enticing him and getting in bed yeah. with him and enticing him and he just like he just like can't get away from her it's, until he like literally like yeah. leaves that country. And he, and so he abandons her. Yeah. And there's a sense in which Does that like, come back to haunt him. I, I, I don't know. Not really. Not no. like Lewis. I mean, he has to make choices as he works through the book. Right. And he yeah. just, he doesn't know. But like, I think that that's really important because at some point on some level, what we should feel is John abandons the yeah. brown girl. Hmm. And that's what starts this, this journey. But he, he abandons this girl and that, yeah, man. I feel like I, when I was reading through that, I was like, everybody who is struggling with sexual sin needs to just read this section. <laughs> this is because that's that's yeah. the that's the cycle that people go through is they right. they go they get into it and then they start doing sexual stuff and then it it becomes a prison and it produces yeah, all the wrong children. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's and it, you can't every get action you it. take is fertile, yeah. especially if you any action you take on the accordance of your passions is fertile because it's yeah. rooted in your being yeah. as a human being. Mm. And so when we do things for dominance or we eat, we have sex, those sorts of things, mm. those are rooted in real passions. Yeah. Right. And so if you leave Puritania because nobody can make any sense of your passions, mm-hmm. you go and do things that don't make any sense with your passions. Right. Right. And that includes like turning yourself over to sensuality. Yeah. Yeah. So then what, so then John becomes unhappy with this. He abandons her. He finally gets free of her. And then, but he just moves a little bit north mm-hmm. and then he runs into media and some of these other people, which are like right. dressed up versions of sensuality. I, I, is it the first person that he runs into is Mr. Enlightenment, right? Maybe that's not the first person, but that was, I think so. The yeah. first uh, to me, the first significant is, is Mr. Enlightenment. And right. some of the conversations <laughs> he's having with these people is like, like if you could talk right. to C.S. Lewis, you're like, bro, nobody, I, I nobody's thinking this right. stuff except for you. Well, but- like Mr. Enlightenment, you're supposed to, you're supposed to see that he is superior to sensuality, yeah. but that he's dated. Yeah. And his own son, you, that you meet later yeah. in the book, thinks this he's This is one idiot. of the funniest things because he meets Mr. Enlightenment again. <clears throat> And he starts talking to Mr. Enlightenment and but he's a different guy. He's like, we talked earlier and he's like, no, no, no. You talked to my dad and he he's just an rips idiot. it. Yeah, he's right. an idiot. He doesn't know anything. I yeah, thought that and, just- and this is one of the things that is true of the modern philosophies mm-hmm. is the modern philosophies, their children despise yeah. them or don't yeah. accept, say that they're influenced by them. That so, was, I thought that was just genius. Yeah. Like, Cause so like a good example of this in our present culture is yeah. when people say critical theory yeah. doesn't come from Marxism hmm. and you're like, you you can say it's a separate thing in yeah. that in the lineage of philosophy it is the it is one of its forebearers is Marxism and it isn't yeah. literally Marxism, but the likeness here of the philosophy yeah. and is like right. very right. very pronounced yeah you know and so right. um 
And so, so, and so, so yeah. the younger enlightenment that he meets later, he thinks he's so different from his father. Yeah. He's only just slightly more sophisticated, yeah. but his philosophy has all the same bankruptcies. Yeah. Yeah. So who, so for people who don't understand, I mean, we've done a podcast on the enlightenment before, but do you want to break down why in the 1930s and even today, and I feel like the enlightenment era has died off in the enlightenment era was people were pursuing, uh, kind of this special knowledge and wisdom outside, you know, you're able to step away from your preconceptions and your upbringing and step outside of that and look at everything objectively. And if you could do that, then you were enlightened or whatever. People don't care about that as much. That seems to be like a, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of phased out over the past 50 years. It feels like into sort of the yeah. sensual expressive, an individualistic worldview. Yeah, right? So I think one of the things that Lewis is doing here is he's saying that you have like once you leave the Brown girls. Yeah. Right. And you want to be like a more sophisticated person. Yeah. And, and you realize that sensuality isn't going to make you happy. Then what happens? And I think what he's saying is you go through a transformation where you start to make, you start to, you're looking for beauty. You still don't know anything but sensuality. But you have yeah. to make it more sophisticated somehow yeah. so that you can say it's not mere sensuality. Mm. And I think what Lewis would want to argue is that enlightenment mm. comes in and makes sensuality romanticism, mm. meaning that you dress up your sensuality as though it were great poetry and love. And so this is what happens when he meets Media and Media's father, who sings the songs with a harp. So he goes to this place and he meets this, this woman named Media. And she is, yeah, she's her, not a brown, she's yeah. not just a brown girl that just wants to have sex with him. And he's not just unleashing his sensuality, but she speaks of love. Some and, of this stuff is absolutely terrifying. Like mm -hmm. I, I wish my parents would have like sat me down and put a gun to my head and made me read this in high school <laughs> because this is like, it is, I'm, as I'm reading through it, I'm like, oh my goodness, I've passed in my life, even already have passed by some of these characters, you know, mm -hmm. as I'm, I'm like, and nobody had any language to define these right. things. And now Lewis is saying, no media is this and Mr. Enlightenment is this. And this is the conversations that yeah. you're going to be having with these characters. Yeah. So media's it's, dad is called Mr. Halfways. Yeah. And so th that name obviously refers to like, he's, he hasn't gone the full way. And he's the one who he's teaches like, you can, him. you can, you can do it. You can do it like, a, like halfway. Yeah. Right. So he, what he tries to do is instill a concept of beauty in sensuality. He makes this sensuality is, right. respectable. And so this is... So that you can speak of, quote, love. But there's no reality beyond it. So he denies the reality beyond it. There is no island. The island... He, say, he says in the book, yeah. the island is in your heart, so you found it in each other. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's love as... Romantic love is an end in itself between lovers. This stuff is terrifying. You, I hear this stuff all the right. time growing up. That's the type of crap that you hear in every movie and everything all the time. This every rom-com, everything. It's all right. that. And... They, so Mr. Halfway teaches him how to kind of control his, he goes into his dream of the island with Mr. Halfway's daughter, Media, right. and they, I don't they have sex or they, they're, they're, they get close to having sex. I don't remember. I, I don't remember it's, but it's something happens. very, it's, it's sensual. But yeah. It's the not, whole yeah. feeling is, and so he's like kind of the, the, the island used to just be a distant thing that he would look off into in his dream. Mm -hmm. Well, now the island, he's on the island and. He's with media and it's very, <clears throat> yeah, sensual. And, and he gets kind of, uh, John gets kind of like 
addicted to going to the island, going, you know what I mean? He, he starts to go there a lot. He starts to go there with media in his mind a lot. And then, right. And then, okay. So let me, let me read quickly, like the, this contrast between the Brown girls and media. Right. So he, so when he's getting sick of the Brown girl, he says the, because the girl never has a name. Because sensuality is objectifying of sex, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah You're yeah, not having sex with a woman whom you love who's a person. Who, like, it's like it tends to be objectifying. So this is only yeah. ever a brown girl, right? Yeah. The girl was still there, and the appearance of her was hateful to John. Mm. And he saw that she knew this. And the more she knew it, the more she stared at him, smiling. He looked around, and he saw that the small, how small the wood was after all. So he thought he was in this forest mm-hmm. finding this girl at first. But now he's like, it was a beggarly strip of trees between the road and a field that he knew well. Mm. Nowhere in sight was there anything that he liked at all. Yeah. I shall not come back here, said John. What I wanted is not here. It wasn't you I wanted, you know, right? And so then he meets, he leaves her and he meets media, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what it says about John and media, right? He says, as they went on and walked, they walked closer and soon they were walking arm in arm and then they kissed each other. And after that, they went on their way, kissing and talking in slow voices of sad and beautiful things. And the shadow of the wood and the sweetness of the girl and the sleepy sound of the bells reminded John a little bit of the island and a little bit of the brown girls. This is what I've been looking for all my life, said John. Yeah, The brown girls were too gross and the island was too fine. And this is the real thing. Yeah. This is love, said Media with a deep sigh. This is the way to the real island. Right. See, that's this idea that like, and so her father is Mr. Halfway's. Yeah. Right. So this is like halfways. Yeah. Right. But what it does is it it doesn't root the love in the island. Yeah. The greater truth, the greater beauty. And what Lewis is trying to argue is, is like when you say that love, this romantic, affectionate love is the, is the quote real thing. Mm -hmm. You, you lose your real quest for beauty. You, you lose what's really satisfying. You, you, you accept a halfway as the whole. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's ter- I I the way that Lewis has these characters talking, it's like exactly how I don't know marketing and media and, and like it's how the world is talking to this us. This is all the, the real time. thing. Yeah, this is the real thing. Yeah. You found it. What you were looking for doesn't actually exist, and that stuff was disgusting. But this is the real thing here. Right. This and is- John just jumps. He's like, ah, oh, this is what I was looking for, and he just jumps in. I mean, that was. Right. Because because human beings have a moral sense. Ultimately, they recognize that sensuality is a mistreatment of others. It's bad for them. It like ultimately sensuality will bite you. Yeah. And so the question is, then where do yeah. you go? And what wordless, worldliness is always saying is don't go the full way. Hmm. Don't go the full way to God. Right. And don't go the full way to wisdom or reason or virtue. Yeah. Right. And so Mr. Halfways represents this like romanticism, essentially romanticism. Right. It's kind of like right. we find love in each other. So so you're seeking the sublime in the other. Right. In a way that is partly sensual mm-hmm. and then partly dressed up. Yeah. But what ends up happening is right. after, so, so John is with media and they, and, and I think media is an intentional nickname for mm. popular culture. Yeah. I think John is under the sway of popular culture. Popular culture is telling him what beauty really is. This thing it calls love mm-hmm. and romanticizes and he gets caught up in its spell. Yeah. Right. So you can see how this is an allegory. People do this all the time. This is super common, right? Yeah. And then, so Mr. Halfways supports media by singing these songs about the island, mm-hmm. but then saying, you found the island in each other, mm-hmm. right? And so he is romantic, romantically with, right? And so then this weird thing happens where 
where Media's brother yeah, shows up. Yeah. And, and he's he thinks, like, he says she's a whore. Like he, right, just, he said, well, he says he's, she's a brown girl. Yeah. She's like, she's just a brown girl that's like dressed up and hiding it from you. Huh. And essentially what he's saying, what this is like the cynical worldly person saying, so this is like the guy who started Hustler magazine walking in mm-hmm. to this like thing on like romantic love and being like, you're just whores. Yeah. Like you're no, you're not better than me. Right. Like what do you, what do you think you're doing? And, right. and he's, he's right. I mean, yeah. and so it reveals that right. John realizes that media is a brown girl. This is, this is interesting because that's exact. I mean, that's some, those are thoughts that I've had growing up where, where, you know, you look around. So there's this weird thing in high school that people experience where you have high schoolers dating each other, which is weird. And I don't know, it's just weird. So, but, but they date each other and it, and, and it doesn't stop in college. It's the same people are dating each other, but there's this weird romanticism that they say that they're in love with each other and all this stuff like that. And then somebody else who's just sleeping around, everybody calls that person like a slut or a whore or whatever, you know? Mm. But, I, but in my head, I was always like, I'm similar to the, the, I was similar to the brother who's just like, you, you guys are doing right. the same thing. You're just, you're just pretending like it's this big romantic love affair, big, huge romantic thing. And mm-hmm. it's not, you're still just sleeping around. You both are doing this for your own passions. Right. You don't love each other. You don't know what that even means. And so right. it happens. And I think that that doesn't, I, you see it a lot in the high school, college years, but it right. continues through people's lives. And that, that's yeah. they're the same thing. And, John, and like, you could tell in the book that John's a little uneasy. Like he kind of knows yeah. this isn't, but he right. wants, he wants to believe yeah. in it. Like, yeah. just like you want to believe in romantic yeah. love and believe that it's an end in itself. Mm-hmm. And when the brother Gus halfways comes in and he's like, he says to his, his sister, well, Brownie, you're, you got your tricks again. Yeah. And then she's like, it's all over. She says, our dream is shattered. Our mystery is profane. Yeah. I would have taught you all, um, all the secrets of love, but now they're lost forever. We have to part because she makes this big dramatic thing like, Oh, Gus ruined it. Or these other people ruined it. Yeah. But really once you see yeah. that, that kind of love that, yeah. that media, that popular culture, that halfway love yeah. is really just a dressed up Brown girl. You yeah. can't unsee that. Right. And it doesn't, and mean it has the, ruined right. everything. And so it's better for her to run off and be dramatic about right. it. But like for John, it's like, but then he's like, well, what about, what about Mr. Halfway, the singer, like the philosophy of, of love and romanticism, yeah. the Byron-esque poetry, right? And the brother says, um, he's been in the pay of the brown girls all his life. What's his name? The Mr. Brother. Halfway's. Oh, no. the brother's Gus. Gus Halfway. Just Gus. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's been in the pay of the brown girls all his life. He doesn't know it though. The old cucklehead. He calls them muses or the spirit or some rot. Hmm. In actual fact, he is by profession a pimp. And what, yeah. what Lewis is essentially yeah. saying is, most popular artists want to think of themselves as these like deep people mm-hmm. who are producing beautiful art and like really like, mm-hmm. and what they're producing is licentious bullcrap. Yeah. It's like, it's a way of, so the Babylon Bee did this thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of their things, like that one of the guys there pretends he's Satan yeah. and he was going through like a bunch of stuff <laughs> in character as Satan. Yeah. And then one of the jokes is he's like, you remember that song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen? Isn't yeah. it amazing how Christians like act like it's this really deep spiritual song when it's yeah. really about sex yeah. And it's like, it's a really, it's funny because yeah. it is amazing how many Christians yeah. have covered that song yeah. or sing it. They're like, oh, I love that song. And it's, yeah. it is a very sexualized song yeah. about, it's about romance, but it's very sexualized it's idolatry. And, then it, and then it interweaves right. a bunch of spiritual language yeah. as it portrays that sexual, like that kind of sexual yeah. licentiousness huh. and, it, and it equates it to like the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's like, a, it's pretty blasphemous, yeah, but it's kind of wrapped it's, up in this huh. kind of like deep feeling, sort of artistic feel. Yeah. 
It's it's okay. almost like the, it's like the song "Imagine" by John Lennon that so many Christians are like. Oh, oh yeah, just I love that song. Yeah. Like, listen to it. It's a communist manifesto. That's literally a terror, It's completely yeah. atheist. Right. That believes that like it's believing some, in nothing yeah. will produce everything good. Yeah. It's, it's the most satanic it's, yeah. poem like yeah ever yeah. that to make it in a popular culture that I know of, and people like truly like it. And in fact, I've heard it at Christian funerals. <sighs> It's like you realize the song is atheistic right. and literally says there's nothing beyond death. Anti Christian. And, and yeah. it's it's like uh, like every hippie, 60s hippie, like everybody from the 60s <laughs> yeah. and 50s, that, that was that's But their... it sounds, but like you, but like when Mr. Mm-hmm. Halfways plays the harp mm-hmm. and sings about the island, mm-hmm. you don't see the brown girl, you see the island. Yeah. And when like a young person listens to like Imagine by John Lennon, yeah. or like when a person who's trying to be like kind of spiritualistic listens to Leonard Cohen sing Hallelujah, or mm-hmm. somebody who's a better singer than him sing the song he wrote. Yeah. It's kind of like it draws you in. It has a kind of magical feel to it. Yeah. And it makes you feel like the brown girl is more than a brown girl. It makes you feel like the brown girl is the island. Yeah. And that is the incredible right. deception right. of media. Right. Is that Mr. Halfways, who act, acts like he's an artist, but who's really a pimp, right. makes you think that popular culture is really love when it's just a right. brown girl. And more people have bought into that lie. When Gus comes in, I think what, what's, what's frustrating, Gus is like, you know, like Hugh Hefner or somebody who's just, mm-hmm. you know, just... Absolutely. Right, he's not like a religious or like yeah. deep he's a, person. He's, he's he a just terrible sees through person. the nonsense. He's he not going to play the game, right? But if he, but people who who are the Gusses of the world, who are still <laughs> terrible people, but call out the this fake bullcrap type of fantasy that everybody else is in, people hate that guy because yeah. he's just like, look, you guys can play this this romantic game. I'm just going to go have sex with whoever I want to have sex with and do whatever right. I want. And everybody's yeah. like, well, you're objectifying women and you're a terrible person. Right. It's like, you're all right. doing that too. You just put this whole facade up to make yeah. it seem like you're all in love with yeah, each other. Yeah, in some ways, Gus Halfway is the Andrew Tate of this book. Exactly. exactly. He's like, he's, he, he actually yeah. isn't ever going to get you anywhere positive. No. Like, but, but he's, he's calling out some crap that everybody else is doing. Right. And but you're he's like, like, look, if we're all going to be stark about this, yeah. if we're all going to be complete right. pragmatists, right. then like... I can out pragmatize all of you and you're not right. going to like the world I create. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, you're right. That's, that's terrible. That's you're probably, a terrible person. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You're right about the thing you're destroying. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, so, and there's so many people who on the, a lot, maybe like the right wing or the right. more, I would even say like the reformed people, there's a lot of reformed people, even in the church they're like, kind of, they like, Tate. They like Andrew Tate. They like this guy because yeah. they see, because they're naturally uh, inclined to move towards a more rationalistic, logical worldview mm-hmm. that the people who are even properly romantic piss them off. And so people who are not right. properly romantic, who are throwing themselves at each other and being like media, they find a Gus or they find an Andrew Tate and they're just like, yeah, screw media. I, I mm-hmm. I'm all with him. You know, he's saying the truth, right. but it's like, but both Gus of these characters are evil. But, both, right. Gus halfway yeah. can't get you anywhere. He doesn't no, know what's yeah. truly beyond halfways. Yeah. He just knows that his dad is a fraud and his, and his, yeah. and he's a pimp and his, and his sister is a Brown girl. Yeah. And that, and that that's all stupid. I feel like a lot of people live in, in the, in media's brain, like the, in the media world, like mm-hmm. that, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so then like mm-hmm. John like moves on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, but he's sad about it. Right. Yeah. Did he meet virtue next or is virtue with him through this whole thing? 
Because we should talk about who who Virtue. So basically, at some point here, John meets somebody named Virtue who's walking on the path. And Virtue doesn't know where he's going, I think. But he he has all these particular ways in which he does everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Virtue becomes John's companion in this journey. They mm-hmm. kind of walk together because Virtue's not really going anywhere, but he's... He's walking on the path. Right. Yeah. Virtue is trying to find fulfillment. And, and this, what's so important about this is, is that when John meets virtue, virtue seems disinterested in passion, Hmm. but he, he's, but he's, his passion is trying to find out what's good. So he does virtue is this, is this impulse that like, we got to find the good. Yeah. Right. And so now that John leaves halfways, he begins to realize that like, you have to journey with the pursuit of the good. And so virtue, it's spelled in the book, is V-E-R-T-U-E, but in real life it's V-I-R-T-U-E. So is is that what it's saying? It's the virtue and the, like, this was a little bit confusing to me because I knew that Lewis was not painting virtue in a positive light, but all that I hear is that virtue is good. The concept of virtue, doing the right thing. Right. Um, and, and yet yeah. Lewis is saying that that's not going to get you where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. So Lewis's depiction of wisdom yeah. and virtue yeah, in, to, the, to, in this book is very interesting. Right? And he, wisdom is weird. Yeah. We right. can talk. Yeah. Right. Because at first. Yeah. So with with virtue, the issue is, is that John gets to the place where he becomes the companion of the one seeking the good. Yeah. So part of romanticism is that if what you're really seeking is beauty. What's the difference between sensuality and beauty, right? And the difference between sensuality and beauty is that beauty is bound up with the good, which then in some way is bound up with the true. Mm. The concept of virtue is, is that mm. you're seeking the beautiful in, in line with the good, enlightened by the truth. Mm. And, and once virtue becomes John's companion, he has to seek something more. Mm. Like he has to, so he, so until he begins to look for what is true and good, so that he can find the beautiful. Mm-hmm. So he enters into like this world of enlightenment where he's seeking to find that. Mm-hmm. Right. And what he finds is never virtue. Yeah. And so as you track virtue, sort of like sort of health through this book and virtues, depression, his health, what you, what you find out is, is that as you move away from passion into the unpassionate men of the North, virtue does worse and worse and worse mm. until he's depressed, dying, doesn't know where to go, hmm. is ready to give up. And so what Lewis is trying to say to English culture, and I think more broadly is, when you detach virtue from passion and you just try to rationalize it, you, you actually kill virtue. Hmm. But when virtue isn't filled in by wisdom or something else, it has no direction. It knows not where hmm. it's going. It, it, it hasn't found the, the end to its journey. Hmm. Virtue is a secondary thing, as Lewis would say, it, it first and secondary things, hmm. that like virtue depends on the truth hmm. and without finding the truth you virtue can't, can't survive it's just is doing a bunch of right things virtue's just wandering around doing yeah. its best yeah but it's not it hasn't come alive it doesn't know who he is and it, hmm. and it hasn't found himself and ultimately hmm. it, he will perish become depressed or give up right because because it doesn't there's no aim and, right and and when things come upon him that are different or difficult, he will like breaks down a little bit right. because he can't handle the changes or, you know, I, right. Yeah. Right. And Lewis found this in his life. He found it in his own search for God, but then he also found it in his students. So when, by the time he writes 
the abolition of man. Mm -hmm. He's like, what I find in my students is not that they have too much passion, but not enough that like they, they've lost their sense of passion. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they, they're not that interested in the good. So you can, you can talk all you want about Mm -hmm. like, because all the people are like, well, we need to, you know, harness the passion of the young people or it's going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, there's not enough good passion in these people. They have plenty of sensuality. Yeah. Because they still have hormones, right. but they don't have a desire to see the beautiful. Well, and without is, that, they have right. no interest in virtue. And this is your deserts, not jungles. You can find this in scripture, obviously, in the story, in the gospels. And and our last podcast, Jill and I talked about anger. And, and I was doing the research for that. And what was interesting is that when Jesus, there's that, the story of Jesus cleaning out the temple getting pissed and you know wiping that out because they're using it as a a marketplace and that's not right and i always assumed in my head that yeah jesus was angry and that he was driving this out through this righteous anger but the story doesn't say that it says that at the end of it it says that jesus was uh, essentially it uses the word um, zealous for his his father's house. Mm-hmm. But that zealous z- zeal and anger aren't necessarily the exact same thing. And I think no. z- zealous actions are kind of maybe what Lewis is talking about, about this passion that's directed towards the, a true good thing. That Like in that situation, right. Christ was using his passions, driving it towards something that was purifying and true and good right. and, and beautiful, cleaning the temple out, making it back into what it was meant to be. And uh, a lot of young people are angry and pissed and they then move into sensuality and just drive their their passions towards whatever they right. can have sex with, whoever and they can manipulate. Deadening, and right? it's deadening, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then it has all these children you don't want and so on, right? Yeah, yeah. and right. so I think what Lewis is trying... So there's this place in the Bible where Paul says, um, never be lacking in zeal. Yeah, right, right. right. But basically tend to your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. Right? Yeah. So in one sense, zeal is something you have to tend to. But like that concept of zeal or like intense passion mm-hmm. what matters is like what it's informed by and what it's directed towards but you don't want less of it you want more of it yeah and so right. like if you read the apostles or the teachings of jesus they're not trying to make these passionless men yeah which to end up being these these pale that is not brown right. Right. men of the north right right they've gotten not enough sun instead of right. too much so to right. speak right? right and so the the further the whiter they become the paler they become mm-hmm. the less life is in them yeah they're starving they're dying they're and the, there's, there's this increasingly, there's an infertility in them and in the land. Yeah. None of them have children, right? right. Like they're, they're starving to death. They can't yeah. grow anything. And it's because yeah. they, they're, there's less of them mm-hmm. and, and there's no passion. Mm-hmm. Right. And ultimately you get to the barbarians in the North where mm-hmm. now they don't believe anything mm-hmm. and all that's left is brutality. So like it all the way in the South where there's passion, there's nothing left but sensuality. Yeah. When you get all the way to the north and you see through everything that's moral or good and you're no longer pursuing beauty, all that's left is what's stark. And in that starkness, all there's left is brutality. Hmm. So you go all the way to the south, you get Cardi B. You go all the way to the north, you get Andrew Tate. Yeah. And both of them, Lewis is saying, are monstrosities. Yeah. They're they're, like, you do not want to go to either of those places. You have to cross the chasm. And only Mother Kirk can take you there. And it's, it's when you, I mean, as you say that, it's interesting to think about where we're at. And in, in, I mean, not just in America, I'd say in the West right now, is right. that basically the two options that you have, generally speaking, is the Andrew Tate or the Cardi B. There's not many people who are trying to, and I'm not even talking about right. just outside of the church. A lot of the churches have jumped onto those two ways of, 
you have the Andrew Tate uh, counterculture. I'm going to, you know, this is, you know, I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to be, but it's not very. Yeah. Biblical. Sometimes there's just a lot of, it's brutal. You see that brutality coming And it kind of obliterates the, yeah, the beauty of Christianity. And Lewis calls those people dwarves. Yeah. Right. They, they're, they have not developed correctly. Yeah. They're strong. (laughs) That's funny. They're strong. They're willing to kill. Huh. But they haven't, they haven't grown, they didn't grow yeah. tall. Yeah. They've, they've grown stumpy. Yeah. Right? There, there's, yeah. Like a, there's like extension and expression of voluptuousness yeah. that's just lost them because there's right. no passion. Right. And then you have on the South in the church in America, I think you have people who grew up in the Puritania and they didn't like that. So then they sold their Christianity out for sensuality and they kind of made a... Mm-hmm. A license focused Christianity where you kind of just right. We're not going to totally define sins, and we're going to kind of like God is love, and that's the answer to everything. Yeah. And then, so, if you if you go to the yeah. back of the book, Lewis has a map, and in, in the southern sensual part of the map is a place called Antinomia, okay. which Antinomian Antinomos is Greek for against, anti against yeah. nomos law. So, oh, antinomianism oh, wow. wow. is the rejection of law, yeah, and therefore the the. Mm-hmm following some other the opposite of law as your main principle for action which is passion i feel like you would find that in the north like i feel like the uh, no because it's a it's a rejecting of the law and so as to give yourself over to passion your passions but wouldn't that be the same all which the way is a southern up, all the way up to the north with the barbarians is that they have rejected law there in some would be ways your cold their- passion for power Rather than your sensual okay. passion, because what Lewis is trying to say is that's the quote sensual passions or the, the or the passion yeah. that is like connected to fertility yeah. and embodiedness and beauty. Because the, the the passions of the north have no beauty in them. Yeah. Right. Okay. The passions of the south have no truth in them. So the passions of the north is Nazi Germany. The passions right. of the south is French Revolution. Or is there a better uh, southern, you know, big historical I, moment? Th- I would say I would say the north is tyranny. And the South is um, anarchy is anarchy. Right. Interesting. Right. Kind of sort of. Right. Yeah. And so um, because the strong man rises in brutality. Yeah. Right. So in 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 the South. So like antinomia. So like hmm. in one example, this is like the idea that like you you're owed fulfillment because the romantic concept is higher than the law. Yeah. And so okay. this is like liberal churches that have like LGBTQ flags. Yeah. And it's like you should be able to love whoever you love and therefore have sex with whoever you want to have sex with. Yeah. Um. That would be like one example of an antinomian, like a lot of liberal churches. So for example, most of the churches that I have interacted with, okay, let me say it this way. Every liberal pastor that I have interacted with on this question who is pro LGBTQ is also pro premarital sex. I have not met anyone yet who would say premarital sex is always wrong. Who is pro LGBTQ sexuality within Christian faith. And the reason for that is, is that, you can't just pick and choose your way through the laws. Right. Right. You have to believe that the whole way of thinking yeah. of the Bible is, is wrong. You either get rid of it all or you keep it all. Yeah. And it's not, it's not it, like, I don't know that you would get rid of it. Cause like, I know people who are pro LGBTQ and call themselves Christians who are like liberal in that sense. Yeah. Who believe in monogamous marriage, but they still believe in premarital sex because the idea is, is that they think that, they are now looking at the laws and judging them on the basis of repression versus expression. Like what, what yeah. is quote healthy, right? And what if they've they think, defined as healthy, right? They what they've that, defined as yeah. healthy, right? Because they've become more antinomos, antinomian yeah. because of this principle of passion, yeah. because they've rejected the principles of truth that these right. rules are based on. Yeah. And part of the reason is because they've seen Puritania and they've recognized that if you, re- if you don't, if you're not romantic, mm-hmm. then you could become like the dwarves. 
And you don't want that either. So if right. in your mind, the two other options are to be, to live in Puritania or to be among the dwarves, the right. brutal men of the North that see only, they see through everything because they think they right. believe in the stark truth, yeah. then what's left. And so you have right. to maintain some romanticism, but how do you do that? Right. And right. the answer is, well, if you don't have a divine body of revelation that you think is inerrant, that you like, mm-hmm. you're trying to understand better, then you have to like kind of remake it yeah. and remaking it in the principle of romanticism. Can't we just love each other? Can't we? You right. create a religious Mr. Halfways. Yeah. And I would say that's what liberal theology tends to be is a, is a right. religious Mr. Halfways. And I would say it's important for people to remember that Purit- in Puritania, I don't think those people, like if you're going to look at it in terms of who's a Christian and who's not, mm-hmm. those, I think those people are Christians. They right. just, they've just got a sad version of right. what they have Christ no meant idea for what they be. believe. Yeah. And so they can't see the beauty in it. But I, I would say that the people who have totally apostatized the law, I mean, the antinomial or whatever, mm-hmm. nomians or whatever, they aren't Christians. Right. Right. No, right. The people in halfways aren't believers. Yeah. Right. And that's what makes Puritania so weird right. is that, but, but I think what Lewis is trying to make clear is that Puritania feeds yeah. Halfways in the forest. And I, I would just, the reason why I think that's important, because I think, I think it's easy to, to get, to rip into the fundamentalists, the, the, some of the evangelicals, some of the, these people who maybe you grew up in their church or maybe, I mean, we, I mean, a lot of us did grew up in those types of churches and it's to be like, oh yeah, these people are X, Y, and Z. But I, I mean, I, I've, I've always felt like there's some sort of honor or, it's kind of there's something good about that while yeah they're not answering any of these questions and it's causing problems in the way that they do christianity mm-hmm. they still believe like they, they like you couldn't get these people to not believe in jesus like you couldn't right. do it if they the minister, just believe if the minister had just explained the truth to john yeah john this wouldn't might have, have might yeah. have been able to understand it and yeah. believe but he did that he does yeah. not he, he could not show that the landlord yeah. was as beautiful as the island and that in fact the landlord is the island yeah and, and because of that, because he didn't know, I mean, the, right. Yeah. And, and what Lewis is critiquing is the church's inability to have a theology of beauty that yeah. like, like we can stand for the truth and say, this is the right. truth. And, but oftentimes we're not standing for the whole truth. Yeah. And we, we have a really bad anthropology and right. like, we're just saying there are certain truths, yeah. i.e. oftentimes rules yeah. that we're standing for hmm. without like having. And so part of romanticism is the desire for understanding. Yeah. How does it all work together? Because it's often the pattern of how it works together and it's inner yeah. working that makes it beautiful. Yeah. So two things. One, I, I finished watching a movie last night called Inglorious Bastards. It's uh, one of Quentin Tarantino's films. Mm-hmm. It's about World War II. You know that one? I've seen parts of it. Yeah. One first thing is I don't think I can ever watch a Tarantino. I've tried three or four of them. They're, everybody gets blown up and shot up in the most gory, horrific mm-hmm. way ever. I can't do it. I, it's, I like, can't watch. Sometimes I think it's worse than like nude sex scenes. It's just too much. To, it, yeah. I'm not saying it's worse, but it's bad. It's just, yeah. It, and so, I don't know. But if you want to see the, the, I think Tarantino does a good job of showing the, the, the brutal men, these Nazi, like the way that he writes them and the way that they are interacting in this movie, they're just, they're just dehumanizing, brutal, terrible human beings who just mm-hmm. care about power and they will sell out to get power and they will sell out to do anything. And that was, mm-hmm. that was interesting. Um, yeah. And the, the biggest expression of this in Lewis's time would have been the Russian Republic. Right. The USSR. Oh, yeah. So by this yeah. time, yeah. you'd already had the Russian Revolution. Yeah. There was already repression of people. Is that Lenin? And taking lands or is that, like that. No, yeah. And so Lenin goes back yeah. to the 19 teens. So yeah. that's been going on for a while. Like, yeah. Not a lot of info was getting out to the West. But yeah. there, there was there was dwarvish yeah. behavior already. Yeah. And the, and also, I think 
Lewis would have argued that like Bismarckianism or the German mentalities of control and development yeah. that preceded World War One would have been dwarvish. Okay. Now, obviously, the Nazis were ten times more dwarvish. Yeah. Right. But well, okay. Then, then one of the parallels that I had written in here that I think kind of goes along, and we can take a little detour here before we come mm-hmm. back, is the similarities between C.S. Lewis's kind of philosophy of the necessity of a romanticism in Christianity and then also uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. I started reading that. And of course, Chesterton is making a very a similar argument on. He's, he, he creates a very quickly in the book right away. He creates a contrast between a very logical, reasonable worldview and how that can lead you to go mad and go crazy. Right. And then, and in Lewis, in Lewis, in this book, that's the trench. Yes. Right. So right. if you think of an axis, right, to go north in Lewis is to go to like more rationality, mm-hmm. more starkness to see through everything yeah. to ultimate brutality yeah. to the doors. Yeah. As you go south, the more interested you are in passion, desire, mm-hmm. beauty, yeah. those sorts of things. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but then there's east and west. On the mm-hmm. east is the mountains that his dead uncle goes over. It's impassable, mm. right? And that is the lowest level of sophistication. So the brown girl is there and Puritania is there, right? So the yeah. lowest level of religious sophistication is there and the yeah. lowest level of sensual sophistication is there. Mm-hmm. As you move west, you increase in sophistication. So if you move northwest, you're moving more into rationalism and more, and you're becoming more sophisticated. Yeah. Okay. As you move south into the west, you move more into passion and desire and beauty and more sophistication. Mm-hmm. So in the Southwest is wisdom. Modern art museums, right? No, it's wisdom. No, okay. And then, but as you move to the Northwest, you get like these infertile philosophies of extreme right. enlightenment, right? But both in the South and the North, if you go West to a certain point and in Lewis, you hit a trench. You basically hit this canyon that is impassable. Oh. You can't figure out how to climb down into it. It looks like suicide. Yeah. And nobody knows how right. to cross it. Nobody right. seems to have crossed it. Yeah. The only person who says that they even can cross it is this old woman named Mother Kirk, yeah. which is yeah. the church, right? Mother Kirk. Yeah. Is, it, Kirk is German for the church or oh, Germ- okay. in the German, German, Germanic that. languages, right? And she's this old lady. Right. Who, and they're like, there's no way this lady can yeah, get us she across. Can't get us but across. she's like, I could get you down and up yeah. the other side. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. But like, yeah. but, but to, when Virtue and John meet Mother Kirk, they just mm. think that's preposterous, which is how modern people feel. It's mm. like there's so basically what Lewis is saying is whether you get hyper modernistic or hyper rational or hyper rational mm-hmm. or whether you try to take the, the pursuit of beauty as far as it can go. Yeah. You still end up at the trench mm. where like you, you come to this chasm you can't cross. Mm. How do you really get to what you pursue? And ultimately you'll find that wisdom is empty, even in contemplation and desire and learning and understanding. Mm. And what you also find is if you could go further north to try to get more modernistic about it, more enlightened and so on. It just gets, it gets thinner and more mm-hmm. infertile mm-hmm. and you're scraping the ground and there's nothing under it, but rock like there's, yeah. there's nothing to, there's nothing to get anything out of. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So Chesterton says this in, in a way he talks about what, it, what is it? He's kind of like name a man who's gone mad, uh, who isn't hyper rational, who's not a <laughs> hyper rational man. He, he's yeah. kind of, he kind of goes at, um, and then he talks about William Cooper and uh, John Calvin and how Cooper went kind of 
he he really struggled with depression and stuff because mm-hmm. of his hyper rationalistic mind and then it was yeah. and then chesterton argues that it was perpetuated by calvin's predestination theology of predestination and i thought that was i mean i think that there's certain parallels between c.s lewis and gk chesterton but mm-hmm. my question is lewis read chesterton and yeah. yes there were i mean that's why we call it some sometimes cluster these people together as like the anglophiles is, oh. yeah there's yeah there's a lot do you think that this that that chesterton and lewis in certain ways were were swinging the pendulum a bit because they're coming off of a world war and they've seen what the hyper rationalistic communist world would look like. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of saying, uh, like, like, like what, what he says about William Cooper or whatever, and what yeah. Lewis's perspective on this, it, do you think it's distorted in any way and that they're, they're so closely connected to one world war, but then soon to come another world war where they've lost yeah. people because of the hyper modernistic rationalistic world. Yeah. Okay. So let's go, let's go to Lewis's words about Cooper. Cause you're going back to the 1700s there and then let's move forward. Cooper. Uh, so, Will, so William Cooper, so Chester talks about William Cooper yeah. and his Calvinism, right? So William Cooper at 1700, this is 1700s. He was a, well, we call today, we would say that he probably had some physiological disorder that led to depression, a melancholy personality that was very prone to depression for whatever reason we're not. We can't be totally sure. Probably a mixture of things. Because of that, he went through very long bouts of depression. He, Isaac Watts brought him to live with him. And for and Cooper was a very talented literary man and poet. And so, and so Isaac Watts as his like care for him besides his constant presence, Mm -hmm. right. He forced Cooper to write a hymn a day, a Mm -hmm. poem that was worshipful. Mm Mm-hmm. And Watts wrote one as well. So they both wrote a poem a day, mm-hmm. right? And some of our greatest hymns in the English language them. are from Cooper and Watts yeah. because of, because of Cooper's depression. Yeah. Right. And so what Chesterton believed was that Cooper was a Calvinist and struggled with the idea of penetrating the notion of predestination. Like, am I like, he's, he's this depressed man who can't see through his doubt. Right. Yeah, he's right. tortured by it. And pre- the doctrine of predestination doesn't solve it for you. There's no right. effort. There's no assurance in the doctrine of predestination, yeah. because if you fall away, then you weren't elected in the first place. Right. And if you right. do, you make it to the end, then you were elect. So do you the, think that he was struggling with the predestination, the salvific predestination, or, does he, or did he struggle with the fact I, that he was depressed, which he thought maybe was predestined? predestined. I'm not sure. Okay. But so what Chesterton was is saying when he talks about that is he, he, he believed that Calvin, Calvin, took a two system approach to Christian belief that was too systematic. It was more systematic than is warranted. And because of that, Calvin lost the poetry. And in doing so, he created something that actually harmed somebody like Cooper. Whereas when Cooper turned to poetry and tried to find the beauty of God, it healed him. But when he tried to sort everything out and figure everything out and make it so there were no more, any, no more, any mysteries, Mm -hmm. right? Cause, cause Chesterton would have believed in, election or predestination, but he would have said that it was a kind of mystery mixed together with God's Mm -hmm. holding us responsible in free will. And that you hold those two truths together, not knowing how they totally go together, but knowing that both are affirmed by God himself in his revelation. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what Chesterton believed was these mysteries that are the center of Christianity, how, how Jesus, the Christ can be both fully God and fully man. Yeah. That those mysteries have to be accepted. And therefore you have to accept that your view is not 100% rationalistically provable. Yeah. Right. And he said yeah. that allows you to have a proper relationship with rationality and a proper relationship and with romanticism. And, and, right? and that's why he was, these were the paradoxes. These were, those were the pair, the list of paradoxes right. that you got to believe to be a Christian, but you could, right. and, and I Lewis think, and Chesterton also both believed. So, so as you move into the 20th century, it wasn't just the Russians and the Germans 
that were flirting with and were affected by hyper-rationalism. It was all of Europe. Yeah. yeah. And so, so it was manifesting itself partly through a hyper-rationalistic version of Mark, Karl Marx. Yeah. But then also hyper-rationalistic part of Kant and Hegel yeah, and so on. Right. right? And as, and, and in some ways, um, Hegel is probably the most important philosopher that most people don't know exists and don't understand. Yeah. But one of the things Hegel did is he tried to combine a view of spirit mm. with a hyper rationality, with a belief that history is going somewhere mm. and that going somewhere is determined. Mm. So it's deterministic spirit and rationality come together, partly in the, yeah. in the dynamics of power. Mm. Right. And so that easily feeds into Marx and communism, mm. but it also feeds into the hyper rationalist versions of the West, all of which were flirting with, with versions of bigger governments, mm bigger states, yeah. more control, the undermining of traditional life, mm -hmm. separation from the land, increased mechanistic lifestyles, and mm -hmm. so on. So Tolkien was very anti-mechanistic. So, he believed we were becoming so addicted to and focused on machines right. and living in cities that it was stripping us our humanity. Yeah. Hence yeah. the orcs right. versus the elves and the, so, and the Shire being a place of beauty and of smaller people, right. but of healthy smaller yeah. people. So so the, what's interesting in that is that people nowadays say, well, when we got rid of God... That's when things went went downhill for our country. You have a lot of conservatives say that we got rid of God, we stopped believing in God, and then that's when things went downhill. Right. But I think what what they're actually probably saying, without even knowing it, is when we got rid of the mysteries and the paradoxes of what Christianity, uh, what was that? What Chesterton saying is at the center of Christianity. When we got rid of those things, all that was left was for us in the West was a hyper rationalistic view of human anthropology, mm -hmm. nature. Uh, relationships, government, and so what it what it turned into was what we have now, which is a, a kind right. of just like a yeah anarchy. Yeah. Like so so look at it from the most positive atheist. So imagine we were atheists <clears throat> and we were still looking at this sympathetically. We could say something like this: in old possible. paganism and then in Christianity, was everything the human race had learned about the human person. Yeah, and it was extrapolated into a view of God. Yeah, when the hyper rationalists came to that religion and they tore down the view of God, they didn't think God existed anymore. Mm -hmm. They didn't realize that it. They assumed that they should also tear down all the views of human beings, which yeah. don't even have to be theological. They just were everything we'd ever learned about human beings. Yeah, and so then the hyper rationalists said, "Well, none of this has to be true." Right, which its most extreme form we see now in what we call transhumanism. Right. I don't even have to be a human. Right. Like if I decide right. I want to be something that my human my normal humanity doesn't accept, right. I'm just going to do it. Right. I can change my sex. I can be infertile. I can intentionally mm -hmm. infertile. I can do all these kinds. I can change. Mm -hmm. I can, if I could cut off my arm and put a, put robotic wings on, right. that's totally mine to choose. I don't have to live right. in, in So what, well, what a lot and, of Christians don't understand is that to fight back against this stuff is to, is to engage in in John's journey here to, to right. engage in, in, in not going too far North and not going too far uh, South and not going too right. far East and not going too far in a way. Right. Uh, so though, like you said, Lewis said in his, in his epilogue yeah. in later publications, I realize this isn't everybody's journey. Yeah. What he would say is you don't necessarily have to take my journey. Yeah. You have, but you have to get to where I got yeah. at the end of the journey. You have to cross yeah. the ravine yeah. with mother Kirk right. and go through the waters of baptism yeah. and find yeah. the real landlord as he yeah. actually is, who is the beautiful Island yeah. who then makes sense of all passions yeah. and all rationalities yeah. hmm. and orders them in true wisdom yeah. and fills virtue. Yeah. Huh. Right. That's what he said. Everybody has yeah. to get there. Yeah. But if you would have walked along the, the center road, listened to mother Kirk, gone across the chasm and gone through the waters, it would have been much easier. Yeah. What, what Lewis is saying is we're all making this so hard on ourselves. Right. By seeking it. But one of the things I think huh. Tolkien, Lewis, 
um, Chesterton, all these others are saying as, as the West was moving into hypermodernity, was he saying this, the consequence of hypermodernity is to reject good romanticism and good reason. Yeah. The result of that is going to be um, infertility or fertility in all the wrong ways yeah. and brutality. Right. Mm. And they, it's hard to argue they were wrong. Yeah. Right. We have the highest level of unwed motherhood or like of unwed motherhood we've ever had yeah. while we also have the lowest birth rates we've ever had as a human race. I mean, mm-hmm. think about that. Yeah. Right. Think about Western societies have the lowest birth rates human beings have ever had mm-hmm. and the most unwed mother rates. Mm-hmm. The, so we have the most so bad fertility contradictory. and the lowest fertility right. that we've ever had as a right. human race. And it's hard to argue that from 1933 onward, we haven't been the most brutal we have ever been. Yeah. Now that's partly because we've been able to multiply it by technology. If you yeah. would have given nuclear weapons and machine guns to, to like Napoleon or something, yeah, yeah I mean, you could argue right, yeah, some that, of these guys that they would have been just as brutal. But yeah, that the problem is, is that our hyper rationality mm. that has allowed us to create weapon, better weapons of destruction, right? All that rationality has been in the hands of dwarves mm. and those dwarves have made atom bombs and machine guns rather than things that bring out that, take dominion over the earth in good ways that bring out its creative potential and provide flourishing for everyone. Yeah. So if all of that energy, instead of killing each other had been used for things like, you know, the best farming practices that were both the most sustainable and the most productive mm. so that nobody ever starved to death on planet earth, we easily mm. could have done that. Yeah. And we just haven't, We just didn't, hmm. you know, because, because we've become in our hyper rationality, we didn't just get away from the Brown girls. Yeah. We became even worse than the Brown girls. Mm-hmm. We mm. became these men without chests, these pale men that can't farm. Mm-hmm. Right. And then ultimately we become dwarves. Okay. But, but I think the, I think what we need to say is, is that even though we've become dwarves and brown girls in our culture, part of what's happened is, is our intellectualism has gone up to the trench and can't cross it. Mm-hmm. And that's what Lewis is happening in his day and is in ours. Yeah. And so he, and so as you go West in the story, they eventually, so they're, they're getting increasingly sophisticated and then they hit the trench. Mm-hmm. And so they go South to see if they can find a way across and they keep finding people who have taken things as far as they can sophistication wise. Yeah. But then they get stuck at the trench. Yeah. And so as you go down South, you get people who believe in passion, who believe in desire and that that desire has to, and believe in the inner life of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to figure out how that really works. How do you really get there with that? Hmm. And they're stuck. Yeah. And some of them know they're stuck and some of them don't know they're stuck. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And so they get, so in the South, you get to this compound of wisdom. Yeah. Where people are really seeking wisdom and, and virtue is his happiest there. But he, but also they begin to realize this, there's emptiness here. Like this, yeah. th- this doesn't go the full way. He spends days there where he yeah. just like t- talks to people, lays on the grass. Right. And then he, and then at night there's this weird thing where he, ha- I think he has these dreams where they're he all can, going out and being licentious. Essentially. They jump, he can jump over the, he, he imagines jumps, he can. And yeah. He can't. Yeah. Yeah. And then people go, they're like, okay, I'm going to go to be with the magicians or I'm going to go to Puritani. I'm going to go here. Right. To, they, Cause wisdom all, in itself isn't yeah. enough. And, right. right. They go so to you, fulfill these longings right. in all these different places. Then they come back to wisdom in the, in the day. And yeah. So, night right. They, okay. So to clarify this, people yeah. have the book. So there's this compound, which is wisdom and there's lots of people yeah. there. Right. And the man wisdom yeah. is dispensing wisdom. Yeah. And during the day, everybody asks like that wisdom is enough. Yeah. But at night, 
right. the time of the passions. Right. They all go pursue something else. Yeah. And it starts out with like a dance party in the woods, basically. Yeah. A festival, like something you like fawns and satyrs playing music. Yeah. This is kind of what you would picture. Yeah. And they're all playing with each other. And, and they're kind of like, yeah, we listen to Father Wisdom during the day. Mm-hmm. But at night we do this. Mm-hmm. And then you have like all these other things. So what Lewis is saying is if you say wisdom is what you're really after. Mm-hmm. Wisdom will get you a functional life philosophy yeah. and it'll take you deep enough to kind of like feel okay about things, but you will pursue more. It yeah. isn't the island. Right. You have not found it. Right. Your passions or the beauty that you're seeking right. isn't found in wisdom. Hmm. It's the closest as you can get. And now you're at the trench. Yeah. But like you can't get further and you right. want more. Yeah. Right. And so when he imagines he could cross the, the trench is when in his dreams, he's with the, the girl, the daughter called contemplation. Yes. And so yeah. you see this in like different spiritualities. Yeah. Like you've got meditations and things yeah. like Hinduism and yeah. Buddhism, but yeah. you also have a contemplative tradition within Christianity. Yeah. But that isn't really rooted in Christ sometimes. Yeah. And there's versions of human contemplation that seek to get beyond mere wisdom. And it, be, it becomes a kind of spiritualism. Yeah. And I think, I think certain new age tendencies fall into this mm-hmm. certain kind of mysticisms, like Christians who like, are really into the Enneagram and like are trying yeah. to find like, I mean, and I'm not saying that in itself is bad. I'm just saying like, there's this kind of like, you're looking for more mm-hmm. and you're looking for it through wisdom yep. and it replaces Christ. And right. you're kind of like, you're, you're branching out. Yeah. And, that, and Lewis believed that in this, that as things got more stark mm. in rationalism in England, mm. people would revive the old paganism. Huh. And so imagine, and so like interest yeah. in things like Wicca, new age stuff. That's totally All that happening. stuff is, has, yeah. Yeah, has, that's, yeah. that has happened. And yeah. Lewis was right that because we have to live with mystery and beauty. Yeah. When you hyper rationalize things, what you will get is a resurgence of superstition. Yeah. But yeah. that superstition will, will pretend it's sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not really. So, so, and this is, who is the, he gets on this, he like flies with this lady. I can't remember who she is. I think it's contemplation. No, it's reason. Isn't it Lady Reason or something? Okay, yeah, those are some other things. Yeah, Lady Reason. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who's Lady Reason? I, yeah, I don't think I'm ready to to talk to about do lady this. Reason. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's basically it, Lady Reason. I think Lady Reason, not Lady Wisdom, is on the horse. Is with yeah, the she's armor. on the horse because she comes. He's in this like prison cell, and then he right. sees these people, but he sees through oh, the people that is into such a really interesting section in, with into the giant. their like mm-hmm. stomachs, and he sees their organs, and right. then he goes to this big. Is it a dragon or something? And then he and then Lady Reason comes and just cuts the dragon's head off. And no, then, it's a giant, yeah, or a giant. Yeah. He cuts the giant's head off, but he sees the. That whole thing is like you got to read through that like ten times before you start to understand yeah. what. Yeah. It yeah. Okay. So saying. that is his attack on empiricism. On what empiricism? empiricism. Okay. So the, all that there is is what we can measure. Okay. Mm. So what empiricism does is, and so this is what sometimes people call scientism. Yeah. It's like believing science is everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in the universities, you have you have the science departments and you have the humanities. Yeah. And it was recognized yep. these were different ways of knowing different things. Yeah. But over time, science has like said, well, I can do all of this, yep. but science can't do yeah. all of it. Right. It's the problem. And so um, the the idea is, and Lewis says this at one point, he's like. I can't remember if this is in mere Christianity or an abolition man, but there's this point where he says, look, if you can see through everything, you don't see anything. And that's what he was trying to say in, in this section of the book. Cause John gets brought into a prison, right? It's like right. a, it's a prison. There's other people in this right. prison with him. So the giant is like the, oppre- yeah. oppre- the oppressor. He's the empiricist oppressor. Yeah. So this is the guy who like, points out all the contradictions in anything that you positively believe yeah. until you can believe nothing and yeah. nothing means anything. And then you can like give up and just die yeah. and then he can eat you. And yeah. so one of the ways that he does it is he creates a, uh, he creates a magic in which 
you see through everything, which is like what you're talking about. You could see yeah. like when the people were fed, you could actually see them chewing yes. the stuff and that you could see them swallow it into yeah. their guts. And he's, and, yeah. and what Lewis is trying to say is you see what the, the scientistic person or the yeah. empiricist wants you to believe is the minute you cut somebody open and it's not like the bright white light of the soul's magic, the minute yeah. you see the intestines and the stomach and yeah. the pumping heart and the blood, you'll realize that by seeing the things themselves, you see through the philosophy that you believed it. Like if, if a man is that full all of that was guts, a, yeah. he's, he doesn't have a soul. His life doesn't mean anything because right. he's just this ugly contraption of these things. Yeah. Right. Right. And so the, what the giant is trying to be is he's the, he's the ultra stark person. He's yeah. saying he's the empiricist who says, because we can measure these things, they have no further meaning. Right. And the way he does that is he gives these riddles and he's yes, like, yeah, he's yeah. like, if you can't solve yeah. my riddle, then yeah. like, and so when lady reason comes, the giant is so confident that he says, I'll give you these riddles. And if like you can defeat them, like you can defeat me. Yeah. And she, she does defeat the riddles and then she cuts off his head. Yeah. And so what Lewis is saying is in his pursuit of beauty, he came across empiricism and empiricism yeah. truly imprisoned him for a while in a way he could not get out. And he was like, he was like pushed down and pushed down by this giant that kept giving him riddles in which it felt like he couldn't believe yeah. in anything more than just stuff as it starkly is. And he ultimately got out of that prison, not, not through God, but through reason. Yeah. So let me give, he realized it wasn't as rational as it was being portrayed. So did reason, I think reason counterattacked the, with her own riddles, right? I don't remember. Or no. Cause it says what well said reason, try now to answer my third riddle. By what rule do you tell a copy from an original? And the giant, the giant muttered, and mumbled and could not answer. And reason set spurs in her stallion, and it um, and it leaped up on the giant's mossy knees and galloped on his foreleg till she plunged her sword into his heart. And then there was a noise and a crumbling like a landslide, and the huge uh, carcass settled down, and the spirit of the age became what he had seemed to be at first, a sprawling hummock of rock. Mm-hmm. So I think she had... I think... Maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems like, uh, oh, it also said the, the way that Lewis describes reason, lady reason is the virgin. Yeah. Uh, and so the giant wants John to answer these, these riddles, but then lady reason comes uh, and asks other riddles and then the giant can't figure them out. And so the giant, uh, she, she, she kills a giant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's imprisoned by a Mr. Enlightenment, right? The the second yes. Mr. Enlightenment, I think it is. Yes. Mr. Enlightenment's there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what Lewis is saying is the spirit of the age was this like idea of enlightenment, which we would now call something like empiricism. Okay. Right. It's like scientizing everything. Yeah. And, um, a lot, some of this writing, anyway, I don't want to get into Bernard Shaw and some of that stuff, but like there, there was this idea that like that that starkness was very present. Yeah. It was in, that yeah. was the context that like, for example, or- Orwell wrote animal farm and oh. he wasn't writing about Russia when he wrote that book. He was writing about England. Yeah. That England was becoming brutal in that way. Okay. Um, Interesting. And so, yeah. So, so Lewis believes enlightenment or what you think is enlightenment, a new sophisticated version that is 20th century and hypermodern is what threw him into this dungeon Yeah, to where he had to face this giant. And yeah. it was kind of like the idea that you could see through everything. Right. And ultimately lady reason was able to like overcome him. But, but like lady reason then can't take him all away. 
Like what he, he wants to do is like, Oh, lady yeah. reason got me out of the spirit yeah. of the age. Yeah. And so maybe I can follow lady reason and maybe yeah. virtue can too. Maybe reason can get you there and you can't. Yeah. It turns out so that it turns was, out lady reason herself is naive Yeah. because she doesn't know wisdom. Yeah. Okay. And she doesn't know the truth. She huh. just knows what, she just knows what makes, what's, what makes sense. Like, is what you're saying really rational yeah. or isn't it? Right. And there's stuff that will be, that has the pretense of rationality that isn't but, rational. Right. And, and that's what she kills. This is on the, the, the journey to the Canyon or whatever. And that's, right. he's moving West. He's moving yeah. West. And so reason is able to get you past the empiricism, right. but not all the way to right. Reason can get you or, to the trench or to the, but trench. it can't yeah. get you across, not across. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. And so wow. she keeps riding up and down and back and forth in yeah. the midst of all this doing righteous work. Yeah. Good reason will say you can't live by your passions. Yeah. And you can't, you can't be so empirical that you yeah. become a dwarf. Yeah. And so reason has a passionate role Yeah, and a truth giving role, but she, but reason herself doesn't know the truth, which is, I guess what I'm thinking about it, right. As I'm thinking about it right now, it seems like, and there's one of the themes through um, Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit mm -hmm. is that there's a certain sovereignty you don't ever hear about God in those in those stories. Like you don't the the like the good way that we think about Christ and God. Like they're not interacting with an all powerful God in that. Mm -hmm. But that there's always some sort of sovereign act. Like like the thing kind of goes right right when it needs to go right for the characters at mm -hmm. certain points. And that's kind of what I've heard is that that's Tolkien's kind of like there's uh, there's something behind yeah, yeah. providence. Yeah, and it's interesting that that Lady Reason is going around doing all these things. It feels like that. Maybe Lewis, he might not be saying this, but something I could take away is that that the way that God works out his providence and is that he uses people like Lady Reason or these people who haven't gotten past the canyon or haven't figured out how to make it, you know, to the church and, and get to the landlord. Mm -hmm. But that his providence is working out through these people doing what like doing the things that they think are right and doing the best that they can to make sure that like what Christians would call common grace, I think, to make sure that things don't all go absolutely horribly wrong. So somebody like La Lady Reason is is uh, an agent in helping, maybe helping hold back some of the chaos that couldn't come, come about if she wasn't flying around doing reasonable things, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's in some sense, it feels to me like like a bit of, of provid God's providence working itself out yeah. in, in real time, even though it's not God... It's, I'm trying to think yeah. about how to say it, but uh, yeah, I don't, something like yeah. that. Okay. So the way Lewis says, so as you're moving along, right. And once you get past media, mm -hmm. right. And you realize that she's a Brown girl and he's a pimp, right. Mm -hmm. Then the new Mr. Enlightenment takes hold of you and starts to teach you how to see through everything. Yeah. And he does it by essentially what, uh, what, um, Chesterton would have called modern chauvinism. He basically is like, yeah. And he, he like starts telling these etiological myths, like, like, you know, how the turtle got his shell stories about everything that people have believed. So like he says, um, um, so John says, after all, it isn't, it isn't only my Island. Right. He said, I might go back, back East and try the mountains. Right. So cause like, he's not finding the islands. Like maybe I'll go yeah. back and see if I can find the mountains. Maybe the mountains are where beauty is. Yeah. And then yeah, this is Mr. Where says, the mountains don't exist. And John says, how do you know? He says, well, have you ever been there? Have you ever seen them except at night or in the blazing sunrise? Who says this? Wisdom? No, this is the second Mr. Enlightenment. Mr. Enlightenment. Right. And then he says, um, and he's, and so John says, well, no, he says, and he's, and then so Enlightenment says, and your ancestors, they must have enjoyed thinking of when their leases were out, that they would go up to the mountain 
and live in a landlord's castle. It is more cheerful prospect than going say nowhere right so he's right. like you, you know people just invented the idea of internal eternal life because so they don't have to deal with the fact that nothing's going to death happen. right yeah. and so jin john's like well i suppose so it, it's clearly one more of these things that people wish to believe yeah but do we never do anything else are there things are, are all the things that i see at this moment they're only because i wish to see them yeah, this is like the postmodern crap, right? I mean, that's what it feels well, like. Well, he says most of them said Sigismund. So that's clearly a reference to Sigmund Freud, yeah. right? Most of them, for example, you would like the thing in front of us to be a mountain. And that's why you think it is a mountain. Huh. Why, cried John, what is it, right? And so you see this idea of like psychologizing everything. Yeah. Everything yeah, is just wish yeah. fulfillment. The minute you, and so then you tell stories about why everything that everybody's believed has only ever been their wish fulfillment, mm-hmm. right? So that, that kind of conceptualization of psychologizing everything makes everything seem like it's transparent. Yeah. Like you can see through it. Yeah. Then this guy turns around and throws him in the dungeon. Yeah. Because the result of buying into that and following enlightenment is you get thrown into the giant's dungeon. Then yeah. it says the giant's eyes, it says, but as soon as he looked and he saw the giant, it crushed the heart out of him. Mm. Right. Because what happens is once you see, once you believe that Freud, Freudism is right, that kind of psychologizing, all of a sudden you are crushed by the, that nothing means anything. Yeah. Nothing means anything. Right. And everything becomes objectified and abstract. Right. And There's subjective meaning, but that's yeah. all ascribed, which means it's right. made up. Right. And right. so you're, you're not bound by anything. You're not called right. to anything. There's no inherent direction there's no inherent right. meaning Which everything is, is just made up uh, right. depressing way to right live. and some people yeah. say well it leaves you free to give subjective meaning to the things you want to but it's kind it's of like, like yeah but that but also torturing a baby and yeah. eating ice cream right are equal pleasures then yeah. because it's literally right. all subjective right. right and there's limitations there, there are limitations to that and that there's limitations in the natural world you can't go and I don't know. You can't fly. Like there's things right. that you can't do still. Right. And there's limitations, no matter how bad you want your subjective right. perspective to be the objective reality. It just, right. just can't at certain points. Right. And so once you get into that psychological loop of seeing through everything, yeah. you begin to be under the rule of the giant. Right. So you begin to become in a mental prison where you, you begin to see through everything because you've just been taught to do it and you can't stop yeah. doing it yeah. and you don't know how to get out of this. So it says that the ions, yeah. the, the giant's mm-hmm. eyes, it crushed his heart out of him. And even as he looked, the giant began to open his eyes and John, without knowing why he did it, shrank from the grating. And now he said, I dreamed that the giant's eyes had this property that whatever they looked on became transparent. Interesting. Consequently, when John looked around the dungeon, he retreated from his fellow prisoners in terror mm-hmm. for the place that seemed to, to be thronged with demons. And by that, it means it says a woman was seated near him, but he did not know it was a woman because through the face, she, he saw the skull and through that, the brains and the yeah. passages of the nose and the larynx and the saliva moving yeah. in and out of the glands and the bloods and the veins and the lower down lungs panting like sponges and the liver and the intestines like coils of snakes. And when he averted his eyes from her, they fell on this old man. And this was even worse for the old man had a cancer. And when John sat down and drooped huh. his head, not to see the horrors. He saw only the workings of his own innards. Yeah. And so like, there's a sense in which now this, now this giant, which is like the spirit of the age that has told you to see through everything and believe in nothing is dehumanizing the people around you by, by like shrinking them to their constituent parts and causing you to see through everything in this book that I referenced before. The notation is from the abolition of man, where he quotes Lewis saying, compare this to abolition of man. You see through everything. And everything is transparent, hmm. but a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. Yeah. To see through all things is the same as is the same as not to it's see. To see it. um, and that's what Lady Wisdom, Lady right. Reason then shows right. is that this seeing through everything is actually 
like uh, a, aimless like a, and it's, yeah. it's fake. Like yeah. you, you think that by seeing through things, it, the whole that is you're lost seeing in the parts, but, what you're seeing but it's is not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you actually, you, you're right. losing your relationship to, to meaning right. because empirically you're looking at all the stuff and yeah. you think that, that and because you've been taught to be Freudian because yeah. you've taught to say, well, all the meaning is just imagined right. and wish fulfillment. You can't hold on to any of that meaning and you right. become stuck in this dungeon and you're starving to death. I mean, this, and this, only reason can save you. This is the modern day universities. I you, mean, yeah, I, this is what the universities are, I, I would say. Right. And so what Lewis is saying is that kind of like Freudian ish seeing mm. through everything, psychologizing of all things yeah. presents itself as enlightenment. Yeah. But it's actually devoid of a reason. And, and then what happens? I think what happens with people who are in the uh, people who are in that dungeon I think those people become susceptible to any sort of tyrannical leadership because they're because they're, they're so yeah they they right. want meaning they want reason they want purpose uh, but they've just been taught that everything's meaningless in certain in a certain capacity well you see through everything and it's all there's nothing to see anymore right but they're still longing for the island in certain ways right. deep down and that and that's I think that's what the universities are today yeah and I think a lot of modern people think that in order to become religious again if you've like experienced this yeah is you become a spiritualist you like you just like believe in myth and right you know you're just you're done with rational like so yeah. there's a lot of people who go to like um, orthodoxy or ritual based Christianities or religions um, yeah. And they're like, I'm done with rationalism, meaning I'm done with trying to like reason out my faith, like, right. because that just leaves me with this giant base. So very smart people sometimes will move all the way to Eastern Orthodoxy to, yeah. because. And what, it, the, and, and what they like about it is it's mysticism. Yes. Right. That you can bypass right. this. And what Lewis says, the way to bypass this is not less reason. Right. It's more. Right. It's that this isn't reasonable. Right. It's not like some spiritual Figure. Like reason is a spiritual yeah. figure in a way, but it's not like some spirit of yeah. well, rationality doesn't matter. Yeah. Now, to be fair, when some of these Eastern Orthodox people go in that direction, they don't they don't say if they know what they they mean. Yeah. I don't believe in reason anymore. What they're saying is I don't believe in rationalism. Hmm. That is that rationality tells us everything we can know. Yeah. Right. I'm done with that. Yeah. The problem is that some versions of that are, in my view, are putting aside rationality too much. And this is, well, but what Lewis is doing here is flipping this whole thing on its own head and saying right. your pursuit of rationality leads you to be the most irrational people possible. You're, you're not rational in any sort of way. You're objectifying and you're, you've obliterated, you, you've, you've dehumanized and de, de or, I mean, you made things irrational. Okay. that That's interesting. That's, that, yeah. I feel like there's no better uh, explanation of, of the modern public university. I don't know. Yeah. Like, that's what it is, in my opinion. So I, one of the things I love, this is on page 56 of the version I talked about. He talks about like, so there's this interaction between her and the giant. And I think there's yeah. a couple things really important here. One is the minute the giant knows who she is, he tries to get rid of her mm -hmm. without her doing anything. Mm -hmm. So he's, the giant looks forward in a chair and looked at her. Who are you? He said, my name is Reason, said the virgin. So he, he at first thought he would imprison her because she, he's another she's another person to imprison but the minute she finds out that the virgin is reason he says yeah. make out her passport quickly said the giant in a low voice and let her go through our dominions and be off with all speed as she wishes so the first thing he's yeah. like is don't try to imprison just get rid of her just, just get, get her out of here hmm. right hmm. and then she says not yet I'll, I'll give you these three little riddles yeah and he says what is the pledge and she says your head yeah right? yeah yeah right and so the giant says well says the giant what must be must be ask on so he realizes that the giant's like, okay, if I'm going to imprison these people, I have to beat reason. Right. If reason actually does stand up to me. Yeah. And so, and if because reason he defeats thinks me, he's if, the most reasonable right, thing. If reason defeats is. me, then my yeah. head must be yeah. the result. Right. And so she uh -huh. says, 
My first riddle is, what is the color of things in dark places? A fish in the depths of the sea or the entrails in the body of man? Yeah, what was the answer to that? He says, I, I cannot say, says the giant. Yeah. Well, said reason. Now hear my second riddle. There are, there's a certain man who was going to his own house and his enemy went with him. And in the house, it was beyond a river too swift to swim and too deep to wade. Huh. And he could not go faster than his enemy. And while he was on his journey, his wife sent to him and said, you know that there is only one bridge across the river. Tell me, shall I destroy it that the enemy may not cross or shall I leave it standing that you may cross? What should this man do? Yeah. It is too hard for me, says the giant. Yeah. So, right. 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 Huh. So like if, if, if there's a good thing you're trying to get to. Yeah. And something that could destroy it is encroaching on it. Yeah. But you are trying to get to it yourself. And there's only one bridge, i.e. reason. Yeah. Should the bridge be destroyed so that the evil thing can't destroy your home? Or must you leave the bridge hmm. and, and she must fight on the bridge or whatever yeah. so that you can get to your home? Yeah. Or do you have to just endanger your home? Yeah. Right. And the, the, right, the right answer is you must endanger your home. Huh. And you must fight and travel against the enemy and maybe fight it at your home. Yeah. But if you destroy the bridge, yes, you protect the home, but you can never be part of it. And you see, if in our rationalities, yeah. we, we destroy the bridge to God. Right. So that beauty can be maintained. Yeah. We can never get there. Right. Because in destroying the bridge, we've, we've cut off our way to get to beauty. Yeah. And so now we can't be romantic in the proper sense. We can't be beautiful. Our lives yeah. can't be filled with meaning yeah. though. We in think we've saved meaning yeah. by destroying this bridge. That's, that's the Puritan. That's the Puritan, Puritanian away, right? That's the fundamentalist perspective. No, he's saying, he's saying that that is the fake rationalism of yeah, the pale men of the North. It's, that's that all their ways of trying to save yeah. meaning and, yeah. and, and, and purpose and morality yeah. and virtue and so on are ways in which you cut off the human being's capacity to live in them. Uh, yes. Uh, and I, but I'm, I'm looking at it. And from, so you kill the thing you try to save. It's, it's therefore it's not rational. Yeah. Right. And that's the secular, but I'm in the church. Couldn't you say that that would be like the, the Purit Puritania in the, in the sense that th what they're trying to protect is all the true good things about Christianity, but they break down all of these bridges and isolate themselves from yes. what could be the, what could be this, the, what they, they break themselves down and isolate themselves from the world. Right. But part of what they break themselves and isolate themselves from is, is a good romanticism in that. And because of what they're trying to protect, but then they can't ever get to that because they don't, they can never see that too. Yeah. But, but the giant, the reason why but that's reason all, that's not, the not the church. I'm not talking. Right. The so I don't, not, I don't think yeah. Lewis would, would have said that I, because okay. I think where he puts Puritania, he puts it in a place that's intentionally unsophisticated. Yeah. It's the not giant sophisticated. Okay. Is it has holds a pretense to, like the spirit of the age is what the giant is. Right? Yeah. So, so we literally know what the giant is. He's yeah. named spirit of the age. Yeah. And, and reason is saying, this is a pretension to reason. Yeah. But it is just the spirit of the age. So when she kills the giant, he just becomes a heap of rocks again. There was nothing, any, there was never anything there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was our belief that there yeah. was something that was there. Yeah. That gave the giant gave life power. and then yeah. caused right. the thing we imagined him to be to see yeah. through everything. Yeah. Once we believe Freudianism is right and you could psychologize everything. Yeah. Then we imagine his eyes looking at everything that we believe in. Yeah. And turning it into like guts right. and nothing. Right. Yeah. Stuff, stuff that we quote see through and yeah. can't believe in the meaning of. The minute we know, well, the minute reason cuts off his head and we realize the spirit of the age is wrong. Mm -hmm. We are free. 
And those gazing eyes don't force our face into the seeing of the guts of everything. And we can receive them as what they are, whole human beings that have meaning and purpose and value and so on. What's the answer to the first riddle that she asks? The What's the deep down in the... If, if What color is it? If it's deep down, you right, can't see Right. The giant is admitting, the spirit of the age is yeah. saying that what he doesn't see, he doesn't really know. Yeah, yeah. And you see, that's different than the Freud person who put him in the dungeon, who pretended that the thing that he didn't see, he could know wasn't there. And one of the fallacies of hmm. rationalism is the belief that like what you can't see, there is nothing to, and it isn't there. That's, that's one of the biggest problems with empiricism Yeah, and okay. scientism is if science can't quote measure it, then it doesn't, you're exist. supposed to like behave like it's not there or you can't know it or you shouldn't even want to know it. Right? Yeah, I would say that's the biggest irony in evolution because they, they can't see it, but they believe it's so strong because I think it's a longing for the meaning and purpose that they have totally obliterated and getting rid of all, getting rid of a religious perspective of or, our origin. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I, I would say that, so there were certain philosophies in this time period that were coming out of evolutionary theory. Yeah. That if humans evolved, then it they're takes, nothing it, but blood and guts yeah, and sinus passages and so on, of, right? Yeah. And so in that sense, there is a way in which, and so what Lady, I think what Lady Reason would say, because I think, I think Lewis believed in evolution, for example. I think what Lady Reason oh, really? would say is, is if, Classic. if a human being took two billion years to come about rather than 10 minutes, yeah. why would the moral value be any different of that human being? If, if God allowed a, a human being to be created through natural processes, but then came to consciousness yeah. and understanding of the good, why should that person say there is no good or no beauty that they've perceived even in their evolved state? No, because I, they yeah. evolved. No, so, I'm fine with so that. I think that would be the riddle well, and lady reason would cut off the head of the, of that giant. So yeah, I think what Lewis would go against is if evolutionary theory causes you to reject other things. So like evolutionary theory in some ways function the same way for Mr. Freud does. Yeah. Mr. Freud assumes that you can psychologize everything. So there's nothing to everything. Yeah. Similarly, there's modern people who think that anything that evolved is no, can't be objective because it came here by evolution rather than by like the dictate of God himself. And so for example, if human morality evolved, then human morality is just a figment of our neurology that came from our evolution, mm -hmm. from our hurting the way we hurted yeah, ourselves in right. the past and is embedded in survival mechanisms that right. we can then, we should be able to transcend or at least are not objective. Yeah. Right. And so, um, what Lewis is saying is it is the belief of one of those things from the other. So the young earth, so Lewis would say yeah. the young earth creationist is acting like the giant that like, if, if you believe that if evolution is true, then there's no morality in the world. Hmm. He'd say, no, that's the same Freudianism. That's that same giantism. It's the form of, it's false enlightenment. It's the belief that right. the one should come from the other Would lady reasons would say the two don't even have to be related. Why would they be related? Well, my here's, I mean, what I'm wondering is that the, the empiricism that he's attacking, the, the scientism or whatever that, that you talked about is, it, to me, the irony is found in that it's, that's, there is some truth to the fact that if you want to do good science, there's, you have to see, you have to do it with things you that you can see. You have to try to see, see something. It. Yeah. Right, you yes. have to deal with the things that you can objectively see and do tests on that. Correct. And what I'm trying to say is that in evolution, you can't do that. You can't go back in time. You can't go... You can't see, there's no, you know, whatever, there's no like uh, transitionary fossils. You just can't see some of this stuff. And so what I think happens in the same way that we can't see creation from a seven day perspective, 
that what happens with the evolutionists is that they try to say that they're doing empir- empirical scientific I don't know what, what uh, that's empirical scientific method. Mm-hmm. And what, what they're doing though is, is actually they're just creating th- an origin story to help them have an understanding for what their purpose and meaning is th- because they're not doing, that's not empirical. No- nothing about what they're doing is empirical. They're creating, th- they can't prove anything that they're saying. And so through trying to be empirical, through trying to prove their origins through evolution, mm-hmm. because, they're not being empirical. What they're doing is they're just actually longing for meaning and purpose. And so they're, I think, subconsciously creating a philosophy on or on their origin so that they know that they have a purpose on the earth in some capacity. Like, I don't think that they, that, I mean, yeah. you can't, you, nobody okay. can tell me that it's, that it's, it's reasonable to believe in evolution. Like I, nobody mm-hmm. can tell me that. And you can't tell me that it's reasonable to believe in six day creation. I get it. You can't tell me any of the, either of those things are empirical or reasonable in any way. You just can't. Okay, I would argue that I would not apply this part of the allegory to that question, because I think, okay, part of say so. You don't think academia is totally built up on the idea of evolution and Darwinism? Yeah, I do, but I believe that the way Lady Reason would come at that is to say that their deconstruction of faith, religious morality, yeah. meaning, um seems to be intuitive when one like if you tell somebody a story of evolution in a very stark way that's just describing biological processes mm-hmm. right and then you were like do human beings have rights right like you could imagine that like a person who's like taught to look at things yeah. in that like developmentally like and you t- talk about nature red and tooth and claw and how like all right. this stuff dies and is eaten and blah, blah blah yeah you might you would get you might get to where like thomas hobbs was like like life is like brutish short violent right well this was and, and you might think yeah. that that's the way of the world because the the founders they wrote and a lot of them were uh i don't want to say evolutionists but they were uh founders of the united states you mean yeah they were uh the evolution had come along until after them but they they were uh children of deistic, the enlightenment yeah. deistic but it was always weird to me and by that, a lot mainly we mean the most famous ones yeah most of the men and women who are considered founding fathers who are representatives from the states were much more religious in a historical Christian, yeah. sense than the most famous the ones. Famous that we know ones. About. And that, the, what was weird is that they wrote that all you know human beings all have inalienable rights mm-hmm. that are given by God, but they don't. And I, I guess they're deists, so they they believe that to some way. But I, I yeah, it, the, the deists believed in a benevolent God, and so yeah. they believed that there was somewhat something of His goodwill in the world. And they still yeah. most of them believe something. So, so like even huh. like like Benjamin Franklin, yeah. said he believed in divine judgment. He didn't believe in Christianity, but like, like Thomas, Thomas, not Thomas, but like George Washington was an Episcopal and he read the Bible and all that kind of stuff, but he didn't believe in sectarianism. And so because of that, I think he over rejected doctrine, but he believed in like a good God who cared about what we did morally, who would judge us in the end. Who was I? And they believe that was fundamental to American public religion that should hold our country together. I was just talking to somebody who said that Thomas Jefferson, there's a Thomas Jefferson version of the Bible where he literally had his own Bible and he cut out every miraculous thing in the yeah. Bible because he couldn't hand, he hated that. I've stuff. never seen that Bible, but I've heard from many different sources that that, that is a thing. I think that you can really just exist. Google it and look it mm-hmm. up. Anyways. I, I, yeah. yeah. So okay. I think, I think what, I think what Lewis is trying to say here is that empir- there are things that empiricism can't know. Yeah. And those are the things of beauty. 
And yeah. so if you become an empiricist in the wrong way, mm-hmm. where you think empiricism can tell us everything mm-hmm. rather than just certain things. Yeah. So what Lewis, I think, would say about science is there are certain things science is really good at investigating and yeah. some things it's really yeah. not. And so when you come to the question of evolution, I do think that science has the right to investigate origins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to marshal what evidence it can to figure out what theory it favors. And it, what is the case, I think, also, too, is that it has to do it not just in a experimental empiricist way. It has to do it in a historical empiricist way. And history has a lot of these gap problems yeah. that you're referencing. But yeah, I don't think that yeah. that makes it unscientific because history is trying to be a science. It's trying to say just based on the samples that we have mm-hmm. from a really big history, we're trying to piece together what we think happened. You're saying the study of history is that. Yes, an yeah. evolutionary evolu- theory, the, the evolutionary is, a study theory of history, is yeah. technically a historical theory. But they don't teach it like that. I mean, they, they teach it as a scientific fact, as a as an empirical, like yeah. a, a well, doctrine because of Because they reality. believe they have sufficient, because secular folks often, or believers in evolution, believe they have sufficient evidence to believe that that historically yeah. is what happened. Right. They believe that its processes should be assumed in how we right. decide what we research in the present. Yeah, right. But it's just, but so, there are things historically that we don't necessarily have lots yeah, of data that for we believe. that we believe are true in the past. Right? I just feel like it, those things, I, I would bet there's much more evidence for that than there is for evolution. I think evolution Maybe. is making up for the lack of meaning and purpose in people's lives who want to reject Christianity. Yeah. Or not Christianity. They want to reject any sort of Yeah, religious. So I think one of the areas where this seems to matter the most is how do we talk about good and evil in the modern world? And yeah. what I find is, is that when a lot of people talk about good and evil in the modern world, they feel like if they can't root it in something evolutionarily, they can't talk about it. So yeah. like um, yeah. Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, yeah. he explains all of human conceptions of good and evil from an evolutionary perspective, which in some ways you're like, okay, that could be helpful if mm-hmm. we've evolved, because what that means is that we can understand why we have these like internal responses to certain moral Mm -hmm. conceptions. Right. But the problem is, is that what it also means is that those moral conceptions may have no metaphysical existence at all. Yeah. Which means they may not matter. So we're only talking about how human beings behave. Yeah. Not what's true. Right. Right. And so if you say, wait a second, I think that I should be treated with dignity. Yeah. You're like, well, it turns out human beings are the sort of organisms that have evolved to talk about something like dignity, but that doesn't mean dignity exists. It doesn't mean you have dignity. So basically you're just saying I want to be treated with dignity, which is actually, if there's no truth, I'm doing quotes in the air, truth in your dignity. What you're doing is you're making a a claim of desire, Yeah. which is actually an appeal to power, not truth, Yes. which is how you need to get modern critical theory. If there are no truths that simply exist that we should conform to, then everything is really just a claim of power. Yeah based on our biological realities yeah. and our therefore desires, yeah. which leads us to a sophisticated yeah. Southern realm yeah. of sensuality. Yeah. Yep. Right. But we are, we are seeking to get our sensuality with a yeah. dwarvish mechanism of yeah. tyranny. So you, through this allegory, you would, you would have to say something like that modern critical theory is a method to try to get right. sensuality by means of dwarvishness, which is are the two worst possible things. I don't know if this connects. You could tell but, me but before I say that, cause I just said a really, provocative and mean thing if I don't finish it. Right. But with the Island in your mind, yeah, with a desire to pursue something that's really good, what you're going to get is Brown girls and dwarves. When what you want is the Island, the mountains, the beauty, justice, wisdom, goodness, the landlord, the, Okay, so so I don't know if you know the Free Press Mm there. They, I I like some of the Barry Barry Weiss. She's got one of the best podcasts 
out there right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I actually her like her podcast. It's I don't amazing. listen to tons of episodes, but yeah. her format and questions She's are really a, good. She's a great interviewer. Um, mm-hmm. They did a competition for high schoolers uh, just recently to write an essay, and then they would win some money or whatever. And mm-hmm. one girl wrote an essay on porn. She's 16. She wrote an essay on porn. Did you read that? Mm-hmm. I was going to send it to you. I'll, send I'll it to send me. It. That sounds great. Oh, man. I would love to hear what a 16-year-old girl who's smart thinks about she porn. She was ripping into the... The whole, the, we're free to do this. This is so empowering. Right. That, yeah. that, well, the idea that, that porn is a, that it's a content, not a substance. She, she compares it to drug. She like uses, uh, you know, Cambridge and Oxford studies and all these studies to mm-hmm. compare it to, to the behaviors in people who are addicted to porn are the exact same as behaviors in people who are addicted to, to hard drugs. drugs. Yeah. And so it was interesting. Um, one of the statistics. So are, that, so are the behaviors of people in love, though, Andy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Anyways, I, well, it's the same pleasure center. If, if right, and if and if um, Gus uh, halfway Ways, is yeah. correct, then then it's all just the same. But th- that the love and the porn, it's just the same thing. They're just so. One of the interesting statistics that she brought up was seventy percent of men, I think, younger than thirty-five or something like that, mm-hmm. will say. Uh, that, and this is a little, uh, graphic, I don't know, for people who have kids listening to pause it or something and listen to it later, but 70% of men say that they have spit, slapped, choked, or hit a woman during sex Mm -hmm. in younger men. I think maybe younger than 25 or 35. I can't remember which one it is. And I think it was like the same uh, high percentage of women. Like they're just like, okay with that. These Mm -hmm. women are okay with that because of this. And, and I was the way that I would tie it back to that is that I think it's because they're okay with it because there's this idea of dignity, but they've kind of defined dignity in this over-sexualized, promiscuous, sensual way. And so that, and so they're okay with it because getting hit, slapped and beaten up during sex is a way of, of, of somebody like expressing power in certain unhealthy dynamics. I'm trying to still figure out how, but if, but if how, expression is a fundamental value, then yeah, being expressive right, during sex is right. something that you would want a lover to be right. for. Yeah. Even if, even, and so if they got quote, right. got off on something that seemed somewhat dehumanizing, yeah. what do you do? Right. right. And this is the point that she's making. And one of the points that she's making, which is uh, interesting is, is, is basically that like, a lot of young people, all of her female friends and everybody's addicted to porn. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young people are addicted to this stuff and they don't, they don't totally know why it's happening, but it, it, I think it all comes from these fundamental, um, these fundamental, you know, dignity and empowerment and power and like people that we don't know. My generation doesn't know what these things are, how to define them in our heads, but we are interacting with them constantly. And then when she said she came across porn for the first time, at 10 years old and she was kind of making an attack on her mom because she's like her parents were overbearing and her mom was making sure she ate every uh, listen, right I type of to, food. I talked to somebody recently who their kid, like when they're at their dad's house, their dad just hands them their phone. Oh my gosh. Their dad watches a lot of porn on their phone. So the kid, of course, found porn on his phone yeah. and was watching porn at like seven and eight years old. That's And crazy. he's like unapologetic about it. He's like, oh yeah, well, you know, I got to let him play the with young, my phone. The, the average age like, like It's traumatizing for these kids. Oh they my gosh. Even, they, they don't even have strong gender differentiation yet. They don't, they don't and even. They, like they, yeah. they, they, they look at it like there are a number, a lot of kids when they, if they interact with porn younger than about like eight-ish. The average age for a boy right now is six for the first time they watch porn. Okay, but here's the thing about that is they don't know what sex is. I know. So they think it's an act of violence. 
Oh, really? Because the woman is moaning yeah. and yelling. Yeah. And the man is acting very aggressively, oftentimes yeah. on top of her or over her body. And I, I can't tell you how many people I've interacted yeah. with as a pastor who have this concept of yeah. like, if daddy does that to mommy, da- like That's every yeah. every week or something, my daddy is like... Beating, beating up my, my mom. mom. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and they think it's an act of violence and like girls think like, right. Oh, I guess that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to get brutalized. That's how babies are born. And yeah, like there's all kinds of these, like, like that mental... carry on through the rest of their life. Yeah. But like I have, I remember I, I'm like, who's the, uh, the African-American girl on Prager university with the braids. Oh, I cannot. Amala, Amelia, like Amala Amala something. Or something like Amelia. Anyway, she talked to, like, she, she's an atheist and she talked about like going out with some like even conservative young man. Yeah. And he, they, they kissed after like their second yep. date or their yep. date. Yep. And he like, put his hands on her throat yep. and she's like, oh, what are you, what, 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 yeah. what are you doing? Yeah. He's like, Oh, I thought you'd like that. Yeah. I talked to other like young oh. women who have gone to church here. Yeah. Who like have kissed guys or whatever. Yeah. And they have put their hands on their throat. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's even, it even starts like before that there's guys who will go on a date with a girl and like, and f- first date, I mean, guys I know at, at our church, and try to kiss on the first, like try to kiss the girl or something on the first, like dropping them off at home and try to kiss them. And it's like, what are, uh, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? Yeah. Dude? Do you have no like awareness of what's happening? Anyways, the, but it, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So there was, uh, there was one more thing that I, I was yeah, you're like, say. okay, wait, if you kiss a, like, cause some people listen to me, like, well, what's wrong with kissing on the first date? Okay. We're assuming this is like open mouths to wet, wet kissing. Okay? Right. Yeah. And the idea is like, well, what do you think is the process of getting from here to marriage? Right. And how long do you think the process is getting from that kiss to sex? Right. And are those two coordinated with each other? And the answer is no. Right. The second you start kissing. So if even sexualized actions, physical actions towards other person, if those were even moral, which they're probably not based on biblical standards, even if they were, you could do a sexual act to a woman you have no sexual rights to. Right. That is, she is not consented to giving her whole life to you. And vice versa, then you probably shouldn't even do that. The but I want to say that that the the article by this girl, and I'll put it in the link to the, in the description. It she, the slight that she was making towards her mom didn't feel like to me it was a slight towards ultra conservative, overbearing parents. Mm-hmm. Her mom was making sure that she was eating all of the the kind of like the the hippie eat all the vegetables, the super liberal, do all the you know you have to. Just a very liberal, like eat your vegetables, eat this, do this, do this. And it's like, yeah, well, in, in the room next to you at night, it's I'm watching porn and I'm 10. And yeah. that's the kind of what her point, like, yeah. are you kidding me? And all of her girlfriends are doing the same things. Yeah. And the way that they view sexual relationships is now just it's horrible. And she's yeah. writing about this and people in the comments are like, like, oh my goodness, I didn't know kids that young were watching porn. It's like, are you guys idiots? Yeah, like, like, what do you, are you, you gave yeah. everybody a tablet and a phone when they were right. four. I got it. What are you talking about? Yeah. This, so the, yeah. So we'll talk about this more this fall. Cause yeah. I'll be do, I'm going to do be doing a series uh, on technology here, yeah, at technology. high point. And I'll, I'm reading like six books on this right now. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the oh, issue is, is that, um, tablets and stuff like that, uh, get at that same pleasure center in the brain oh, yeah. and the addictive stuff is real hard there. And parents, just completely have lost their nerve yeah. on limiting kids' technology. Mm-hmm. The name of the article is, I had a helicopter mom, I found Pornhub anyway. And <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of it. But um, Okay, so man. to try to come to some kind yeah. of conclusion here for this yeah. story. Um, I I think that um, there's a lot we haven't talked about, obviously. It's so big, the book is. But this idea of like the further north you go without God, the more infertile things get, the yeah. thinner, the paler everything is, yeah. the, the less life is in you, the yeah. less soil there is to grow anything in. And what Lewis says is the further north you go, the more reliant you are on goods from the south. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so like a number of these people are like, they think they're so sophisticated and they talk about like all the food they eat in their home. Yeah. And it's like, they get it all from somewhere else. They yeah. don't grow anything. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and like, there's this one guy who's like so sophisticated. He's like, Oh, yeah. the, our dinners are so good. And their dinner is actually right. kind of crap. Right. And he actually has this guy called drudge who he Drugs, makes grow yeah. everything and get everything and do yeah. everything for him. And it's kind of like this like sophisticated class that like expects the working class to yeah. work for $7 an hour and not be able to afford a home or any food but and this to like is, support their life where they yeah. basically type at a computer, just talk yep. for a living. This is okay. This and is, they think that they're amazing. Yes. This is also Instagram. I'm, I'm going to say mostly women. There's some men, but mostly Instagram women who are, Talking about how they're, I'm sorry, I'm going to go at the homesteader Instagram women who are trad wives, those people who talk this big talk about being these organic, whatever people. And they're not doing any of the work. They're on Instagram all day long talking about all this stuff, but they're not churning the butter and like going out and planting this stuff and harvesting it and like putting it all together. They're going to the whole foods. And I mean, Annalise is going to think this is is not at you, Annalise, uh, because But in some ways it is, but she'd be fine with that. But it's just like, I I see it as a, like that same situation where you're in, you're. Yeah. I mean, if you're being a fake trad wife, then you're being a fake trad wife. Well, I don't think it's possible in the West to be a real trad wife is what I'm trying to say that they're all trying to do it and whatever applauds, uh, you know, I give them a good job. It's bro. You, you are, have an iPhone, you have a TV, you have a computer, you're, you go to the grocery store, you live in a house. A lot of these people live in a house there. like their husbands are like engineers or something. It's just, you're not, you're not living. Okay. Maybe I'm not as connected to this as you, because like, I think of people like Wrangler star who like, Literally lives on his own homestead. He sharpens his own chainsaws. He like cuts does down he, his own trees. He does like, he like have a phone and stuff? Yeah, but he like makes videos on YouTube and yeah. hundreds of thousands of people watch them. And surely yeah. that's monetized. Yeah. And then he makes money off of it. Right. And like, I'm like, well, great. I'll be good for yeah. you. Like, yeah. and I think like if you, so like. If and that's like, the case for some, but a or lot like people of these growing and slaughtering their own hogs or having their own farms. Like, and then they, they like, they try to monetize that. I mean, God bless them. If yeah. they pretend they're doing it and they're not, then like, yeah, I mean. That, well, I think that they think that they're doing it for real, but the version that they're doing is the modern Americanized social media watered down version of the actual real thing. Yeah. And so then they pretend. But you've got to include us in that class, though. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. like, I would Everybody's say like, the, 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 people, the people who are trying to make a living or are trying to like talk about how like right. how great they are when other when they're really relying on other people to do the actual work. Yeah. This is the, what what Lewis is getting at. Like right. you've got your like philosophies and you're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. I'm so, you know, like this the way I think about stuff is so great. Everybody should listen to me. But really, you've got some slave working for you. Yeah. And he's the one yeah. who puts stuff on your table and you could never live without him. Yeah. Like, like that, right. the guy he's talking, I think it's Mr. Yeah. Sensible. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah. he's so sensible. He's like, thought, and he's quoting all this Latin and blah, blah, yeah. blah. But the minute Drudge quits, he can't even eat. Yeah. Like he's right. a completely useless yeah. person. And this is what Thomas Sowell would call intellectuals. I mean, this is, a, this is what I would call just America. I mean, the second, yeah. so, one, if, if something breaks down in the system ever, <laughs> if the grid stops, we're screwed. I yeah. Know okay. But what, what Lewis is getting at here is not that not, he's not attacking Adam Smith and saying the way economies function yeah. is people specialize. And so you don't know how to farm anymore because you know how to create videos. Yeah. So, so we, we, we divvy up our goods and services. This is more like um, what Thomas Sowell was talking about when he talks about intellectuals, that is people who talk for a living, who the, their views are not really tested in real life empirically. And they just say stuff yeah. and they don't actually yeah. produce anything real. Right. And yet they make good livings yeah. and they live off this, this, this actual labor 
yeah. and productivity of others. Yeah. And these sorts of people are the worst because they talk at these other people mm-hmm. and they persuade them of their inhuman and, and totally infertile views right. that actually undermine the productivity of the people they're living off of. Yeah. Yeah. So people who talk about yeah. how like the modern, like the, yeah. the traditional family yeah. is slavery for women yeah, right, right, and, right. and blah, 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 blah. Or when, even just the, the, the work, the market, uh, the right, average or labor, market is, or like, is like, you know, working at McDonald's is like an exploitation. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, okay, yeah, it, it, could, 20 be, bucks like, it could be, but yeah. like those people hour. feed you. Right. It's yeah. like you go to McDonald's and you eat yeah. the hamburger and you're yeah. like, you know, this is slave. Right. And you're like, well, okay, maybe they should be paid more. Yeah. Like maybe like dignity, we should change that job a little. But yeah. the idea of like that labor is bad or that you yeah. shouldn't have to do a right. job you don't like. Most right. people do a job they don't like yeah. because food doesn't grow on trees. Like right. you have to literally, well, does, I mean, some but, food does, but like, <laughs> but like modern society yeah. with all of its conveniences, that happens because people work. Yeah. And so, yeah. and like Chesterton was very good on this. Yeah. He called himself a Democrat, not in the American political system, but he's like, I, I look first at that common guy who farms, who's a plumber, who puts mm. bricks on top of each other with mortar, who like lives in the real world and does real things with mm. his real hands. Yeah. And like, that's the guy I look at first. Yeah. And yeah. then from there I become a thinker. Yeah. He said, these people who are like just coming up with their little philosophies. Yeah. Actually ruin those people's lives. It's sad. It's sad. I, I, that's. And so conservatives do it when they come up with, with philosophies that are reasons why they don't have to care about the common man. Yeah. And then liberals do it when they come up with philosophies that would never work in the lives of common men. They persuade those people to do it and they ruin their lives. Yeah. And so the left creates kind of like a dependency. Yeah. And the right creates kind of like a independency. Yeah. Where it, it it undermines like the real inner working and our real dependence. Yeah. Because a lot of like Republicans who are rich and who are like yeah. generally rich, like middle class rich or, yeah. or higher, they don't look at the at people who are poorer than them as people who make their life possible and who yeah. they could never live without. But I would be okay. And I think that the question at that point would be okay, the, governmentally or within the church. And I'd be okay with a more Democrat approach in the church because I think that. In the local church. If it's that voluntary. The, the govern, yes, if it's yeah. voluntary in the local church. And I know that the Socialism local... works if it's utterly voluntary, meaning it love yeah. works. Yes. Like giving to somebody else. Right, but I wouldn't you can equate... at any point say, I'm not doing yeah. this anymore. Which isn't socialism, by the way. Right, socialism, which is not socialism. Yeah, right. that's a government-enforced yeah. way of, quote-unquote, loving each other. Yeah, believing yeah. in, believing that you have obligations to other people yeah. that are unchosen. Yeah. That are part of the fabric right. of our lives together as yeah. human beings isn't socialism, right? If you but want it the, is social. Yeah. If you want the acts to type of community, you don't implement that through government force. You just do it on your right. own. And that, that's the difference. Right. And because it becomes healthy, because like if I'm, if I'm helping you mm-hmm. and then you start doing something unhealthy, I can immediately correct right. and say, okay, wait, Andy, if you're going to behave like that, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. I can, and right. see that happens in families. Right. Like I can give my son grace right. on chores because I think he's working really hard in school. Right. But then I go, wait, you're not really working really hard in school. You yeah. need to do these chores again until and you're working really hard in school. what's good about local government. Right. Governance. It, the more, yeah. the more immediate the relationship is, yeah. the more we can use affirmation yeah. and shame yeah. and the structure of what I will give you and won't give you. Right. And so I, we can keep it healthy. The minute right. you get going to a government program where you literally can't have yeah. discrimination, you can't discriminate you right. can't differentiate and then you can't yep. keep it healthy and this is why i liked when vivek said during the republican debates that the greatest form of governance is the, the local local family. nuclear he was family about that. Yeah, i thought that was good some of the stuff was smoke i like vivek some some of the stuff annoyed me but he, that was good he, i liked him the most okay so, to, to, let's so, so okay so let's up. let's wrap this up by this if you're not going to read this book i think here's one of the things lewis is saying yeah there is a a xy there's an x-axis of sophistication you can be less sophisticated and more sophisticated. The more sophisticated you, you become, you're still going to hit the trench. Mm-hmm. 
of like, what does it mean? You have yeah. to have an answer for that yeah. question. And there, and Lewis argues, there's really only one answer to that question, the landlord or God. And yeah. the only one that can really help you get across if you're stuck is, is mother Kirk or yep. the church. Yep. Right. And that that is necessary to get across this trench. Right. You can go further North into rationalism and you'll get paler and less fertile yep. and more disconnected from reality until yeah. you get to dwarfism, which yeah. is tyranny, stark loss of, right. And yeah. virtue like loses himself. Yeah. He's broken down. Right. And so virtue is lost. Reason is lost mm -hmm. and you're not moving towards wisdom. You're moving away from it. If you go further South, you, you can try to get more of the passion mm -hmm. and you can get, you can get some more of the beauty, but you're never going to get there. You're still yeah. going to be at the trench. Mm. Only when you cross, does virtue come back to life? Do you find the beauty that you were looking for? Yeah. Does wisdom find its real place? Does reason find its real place? So that you have the fullness where you find that the mountain was the island, was the landlord. Yeah. You were made for beauty. Yeah. Right. You find it. And then sensuality, passion, desire, wisdom, reason, virtue, all find the right place. Yeah. Huh. In this new birth that comes through the waters of baptism, yeah, that you that you're led to by Lady Kirk, by Mother Kirk, yeah, and that you ultimately find in the Lord, right, who yeah. is God in Christ, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, it's almost eleven, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, th you know, some of you guys probably have to had to listen like four times to get through yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Hopefully, this uh, is good. Yeah. Hopefully, this was more interesting than who won the the Republican. Deba debate, debate or something yeah it was vivek and everybody knows that <laughs> haley's a sellout nikki haley she's a sell we can debate I, I, this sometime I yeah guess. we should talk about everybody's haley was pathetic on, answers it, on was abortion. it haley on um on that like on what's her name barry weiss's podcast yeah they all were except for yeah. DeSantis. I, th I thought her interview on weiss's podcast was good i did too but these guys every single one of these people can't they they they're like yeah i'm pro-life and then they'll be like okay abortion up to 15 weeks it's like what is wrong no with i think That's, Haley is right i think you start with what you can agree on i think Haley's wrong i think i think that there's a moral line Haley was the worst in my opinion no it's a political question though it's being yeah asked. but These it's a politicians. Mo but i know it's a political question but that the, the politics is is morale and it's it's how we morally interact with each other in our in our i think as a politician you could say virtually all abortions are wrong but because we live in a democracy, I need to focus on what I think I can get and then go from there. But they won't what I think say I can that get is a 15 week ban. Right. What I can get. I think I can get is a, I mean, no, that's what Haley said. She's like, look, any legislation has to have 60 votes in the Senate. No, but she Until was saying country, we shouldn't be talking about what, what you can do with a, like a woman's choice. I mean, she was very, no, no, she was utterly pragmatic. She was like, basically like, you yeah. know, what she was saying was most Americans are against abortion and most Americans don't want to limit abortion, but they're against like late term abortions. They're against late term abortions. No, about 70% of Americans say they don't want to create abortion restrictions. And they also say that abortion is wrong. So America is hypocritical. America yeah. is has a position that it doesn't make sense. Right. But the issue that I had with all these people so is as, that they're saying that this if you're is, representing America and you're pro-life, right. you're like, okay, in this position that doesn't make sense, how much of the good can I get from this nonsensical position? And you get all that good I, first. I understand that. I understand that. But people, they were saying, this is a, uh, we can't put a federal ban on abortion. And but I was like, something like, like 75 or, something like 85, 75 or 80% of, of Abortions are in the first 15 weeks. So if you get a 15 yeah, week ban. Yeah, I can, I can be, I'm like, okay. That's any helpful. win is a win, but, but I'm saying if you. Oh, sorry. That what I just no, said. No, that's backwards. Sense. That backwards. was totally, totally backwards. backwards. That's right. So this is not good. But anyways, at the end of the day. Right. It won't stop most abortions. Right. What I'm trying to say is that 
to say that we can't put a federal ban on abortion and that it's unconstitutional, we need to leave it to the states mm-hmm. is insane because you have a federal ban on murder. You can't murder people. Correct. So this is a this is a, this is the issue that I'm having with all You're these right. abortion should mouth. not be a state's issue. Yeah, it's not a state's right. issue. It is a human rights issue. It is it is right. an issue on on are we allowed to murder human beings or are we not allowed to murder human right. beings? It, to, uh, for right. us to water it down because the left right. is if on abortion relenting. is killing a human being. Yeah. Then it, then so, it is no more a state's rights issue than. Um, slavery is. So I just want one of these cowards to come out and be like, look, the left thinks that murder is okay. We all know that. I don't. And I'm not, I'm going to fight all as hard as I possibly can to make sure that in some way, shape or form, abortion is recognized as murder. See, I and think, I don't want, I don't I want to what, play that game. I think what Haley is saying is, okay, we probably should do this on a different podcast for an argue about this. But like, I think See, what Haley is saying is, um, yeah, feel free to stop listening. If, Haley, if listening Nikki Haley's on the South part of uh no, what Lewis's he's saying world. is don't lose the good for the perfect or the even the right but i can't i can't get behind that i can't as a as a as a person who who thinks that america is going to be like judged. so you got to be for pence then because vivek is no because gonna- pence was a coward vivek was the only one who didn't give an answer so if you if you listen back everybody gave an answer and vivek didn't talk and i was like okay Right, he doesn't want such abortion. Yeah, I know, but I was like, come on, man. But but Pence went through this whole thing. I'm a Christian. I was born again Christian. The whole Christian thing. And then he's like, 15 weeks. And I was like, everything you just said just goes in the trash now. Because you say all this stuff about you believe in the, in the right to life. Okay, up until 15 weeks, you're just contradicting yourself. Can somebody just come out and say, and if it loses you the election, then it loses you the election. We, li- we live in a time full of absolute horrible people think who think murdering I think children is okay. I think what Haley is saying is I believe that abortion is wrong and we but we should get what we can get a consensus on. here's what we'll do our next podcast i'm and what we'll do is this we're i'll have the we'll have the debate up and we'll like listen through it with people and then we'll pause it and we'll discuss what they said for the next debate or for the one either coming up or we can do that for the next debate yeah yeah you, you, we can do it on it. like YouTube, right? You just pause it as we listen, and then we can talk through it. Because yeah, though I tried to listen to one of those, and it was unlistenable. <laughs> did you did you listen to the one? And uh, they, it was crazy. I was trying to listen to the debate, and I found some guy on YouTube that was commenting. Yeah. And he was like pretty liberal. Yeah, and he was saying like all these not. He was just trying to like undermine every statement to, Republican made. Po- right? Yeah, own the list. And it was like a lot of them were really dumb and yeah. false and misleading. Yeah. And yeah. so I was just and he was like talking. Yeah, two thirds of the time, and I was just like I can't fast forward this. I'm driving <sighs> right now. Yeah, man, because I was just listening, and so I had to find the Fox website and like listen to the debate. Itself. It's on Rumble. They're all. I think that it's on yeah. Rumble for free. Well, I mean, the, the other thing is, I'm not going to sit through a two hour debate. I'm going to listen to it on on 2.0 speed. Yeah, because I I don't need to listen to these people talk slow. My dad was like, and they he's like, cut it down to three people anyway. He said 20 years ago the debates looked a lot different than this. People were listening to each They weren't talking over each other. I mean, but Chris Christie well, was, was trying almost, to there was, rip. Well, there weren't debates with eight people. The, oh, the really? first one of those, I remember. I'm not sure if it was the first like one. Was, what, was when Barack Obama was running in. Oh, was it 08? 08 is the first time. Was know. that you had this like stage with like nine people on it? It used to be like what, something. four or something or two? Yeah, I mean, I remember. I mean, maybe when I watched debates as a kid, it was already whittled down. Yeah. I mean, maybe there were those debates. I just don't remember huh. them. But when I saw debates on TV, there was like three people, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I, I think I, I remember Gore, Al Gore, Mike Dukakis and somebody else. Yeah. In the Democratic primary debating each other. Yeah. And it was like those three. Yeah. Look, part I, of the part of the issue is, is that as the parties have gotten weaker, they can't control how many people run anymore. I want to say make a distinction. Back for in people. the 90s, they could control how many people ran. They could say you could yeah. run, you can, but you can't run. 
And the parties can't do that now. Whoever yeah. wants to run just runs. So now you get 15 candidates. But just for people listening, you're talking not as like a pastor. You're talking as like a citizen of the United States when you support Haley. You're not saying like I like Haley. I when I look at Haley, I'm I, like, this yeah. is the the last person out on that stage besides North Dakota guy that I would want running our even country. Ace Hutchinson. Actually, actually, well, sorry. Hutchinson, I think I mean he has a law background. There's only two people on the stage that I'm okay with: Vivek and Desantis. And I'm Desantis is ruining his his chances every time he goes. Um, out yeah, I I feel like uh, if I could make a ticket and I was the emperor of the world, yeah, right for the Republicans, it's Vivek Christie Noem 2024. What I would do is DeSantis Haley. I can't stand Haley. I just don't want to even. If I was like. It's not if, a woman if, thing. If, if I, I love Christy Noem. If I was the emperor and I wanted to control the Republican Party and I was coming up with. I would pick probably DeSantis and then Haley. And then on the and then on the Democrat side, I would pick um, Kennedy and yeah. somebody else who's an able. Who actually is good uh, at Tulsi, getting things done. Maybe Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, I would yeah, love Tulsi. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. That'd be a good b- I, Actually, matchup. I think I would prefer Tulsi Kennedy. Over, yeah. Really? I, I, would run, I would run Tulsi Kennedy. I'm not, this is going to piss people off. I don't, I'm not there with a female president. Okay. But I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I think that there's a problem. We talk about it in a different podcast. Yeah. I think women are great. I just don't know if that's the role in society. I, th- I think that, I think that if a Republican got the nomination. Mm-hmm. And they chose Tulsi Gabbard as their. That would be genius. That would be, I think. Yeah, that'd be genius. I think, They'd win. Okay, There'd you want to see? I think if you, I think that a Haley Tulsi ticket wins. Right, but I think that we would have like a bunch. I'm, okay, Haley is not a conservative, as far as I can. Okay, tell. but here's the thing. Here's and Tulsi's the thing. obviously okay, not. Okay, it's really what's really important is, like Vivek's foreign policy is bat guano crazy. You you don't like that. Yeah, it's a different. Okay. It's a generation. It depends. Thing. It depends on what Vivek meant in the question. You're gonna have to cut this out. And make this a different podcast. <laughs> but um, it depends on what Vivek meant when he said he. Because the question was, are you for increasing aid to the Ukraine? Are you for increasing aid to the Ukraine? Yeah. Now, if Vivek is saying just keep we can give aid we're about where we're at, but we're not going to increase it. Listen to his interview with with Barry. I think he says poll completely i do too and i'm fine and with i that. think that's nuts why i think it, there's I think, a lot of evidence that ukraine isn't even really a democracy it's see, not like a western did, uh did you see tucker's interview with orban no recently he just did one with portnoy that i'm i'm halfway through but okay I, I don't. so so victor orban is a longtime prime minister in hungary oh he just did that one yeah. that was within the last couple of weeks yeah. yeah and and like Hungary is a mm. conservative. It's va- vaguely Christian. Yeah. And so Americans apparently in that. Okay. If that, this is, if this is true, this is big. Apparently the Biden administration spent money campaigning against Orban in Hungary. That wouldn't surprise me. If that's true, I feel like that should be an impeachable offense. You can remove an American president for And I would say that if it was Trump, I don't care who, who yeah. the president is. If you spend American dollars, campaigning against somebody in a, in a, in a, in a democracy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sorry, that's but like, that's, that's especially one of our allies. Yeah. Like it's one thing if it's like China and you're like trying to support the like, but like to treat Hungary like that. Well, okay. also that nobody knows about it. It's not so like anyway, anybody so knows So in that interview, it. Orban basically said the war is unwinnable for Ukraine. Hmm. And so some kind of peace needs to be made there. 
And I don't you know if give up land. I don't know if that's true. I mean, Or, that's what they Orban s- seemed to think that Russia had way so many more people that Ukraine really can't. And the only way Ukraine could win is if troops came in from outside of the Ukraine. And I, if that's the case, then you have World War Three. is what he said. Yeah. Now, and he said a lot more Ukrainian soldiers are dying way, 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 way more than we're hearing about. Oh, wow. And so it's way worse than people think. And yeah. so therefore something has to give. You watch that on X on tw- tw- Twitter? I think, it was on, I think it was on Twitter slash X. Yeah. yeah. So now if that's true, huh. then some policy like Vivex may be pragmatically necessary. I don't know. I think the frustration that Vivex has is. But I don't know if that's true. And NATO's, I don't know how true it is proportionately and all that. I think that we're giving a lot more to Ukraine than the European countries are. And is it NATO? No, I think they've stepped up a good bit recently. Maybe, but I I've, think that the frustrating thing that I agree with Vivek is, is that whenever anybody that's considered to be part of the quote unquote, the West or the, you know, our phil- philosophical worldview yeah. gets into an altercation, it's America's job to bail them out. And yeah. we've got problems here at home, people flooding through the Southern border and bringing crap into our own, our own homeland. And right. I agree with him on that. Like we got to, we got like Jordan Peterson, make your bed before you go out and save the world. And I think we haven't made our bed. And I think that we've got crap right. coming. This goes the- back to Nikki Haley and she, that she was right that we can chew gum and walk at the same time. Like, yeah, like, I like don't, if, I don't if there know. Was will to, like the reason why there that's a lot of money. The reason why there aren't people at the Southern border closing the Southern border is not because we don't have enough troops. But listen, the that's question not the is because we don't have the will to do it. But it, no, the question, if you, if you, yeah. we stopped helping Ukraine, do you think we're gonna have more political will and military will to close the Southern border? No, we they're do both basically the-, the same thing. Whether we're willing to support an ally and support NATO in in Russia not taking over a country is the same basically fortitude and strength of will, the martial spirit to say, you're not crossing our flipping border. Yeah, but I'm but I'm I don't want uh I I want to spend as we, little money spent, as I possibly can. If we spent if we spent like sent like three thousand people down to the border, we could shut it down. If we decided we were going to send units into Mexico if necessary but to I kill think cartel what, people, what Republican it would do, stop. They want to put something more permanent in there. That's why people like the wall, because they know that every four years is going to be troops down sure. there, troops back, troops down there. Yeah, so yeah. No, you put all something more is, permanent there, that's going to cost a lot of money. Ukraine and the southern border are not in either or. They never have been. And they can right be if you that. don't want to spend a lot of money. If I don't want to yes. spend a lot of money, then I don't, then it isn't either or. Then I, I either go to Ukraine or I put the wall up because I, and I don't care as much about Ukraine as I do about the wall yeah, because I want to spend spe- less relatively money. Relatively speaking, closing the Southern border and putting the wall up is like not a lot of money. It's like a trillion dollars, like not a trillion, no. a couple billion dollars. Yeah. But a couple billion dollars in modern terms is like but I mean, we've spent, pocket change. But I know, but I don't like, I mean, I don't think I don't the government like should behave that way. Term. Yeah. I don't like that. I want to, I want to get out of it. That, that, that idea that, well, if we're just going to spend money, we might as well just spend it on everything. No, I want the government to be forced to make choices. What's more important, America or Ukraine? Yeah. Make that choice and live with it. Yeah. Okay. So I don't agree with Biden. If this is what he believes that we should look for regime change in Russia. First of all, I'm not sure I'm qualified to talk about this. We probably should both stipulate this. Foreign policy is complicated, but (laughs) it doesn't seem right to say because there are nuclear weapons, all that. But here's the thing. If we just back down every time a country with nuclear weapons does something tyrannical, we are going to have World War Three. I understand that. But I I don't want to. I think that taking over half of a country as big as Ukraine like, I mean, this is not that different than when Hitler took over the Sudetenland. No, I get it. But I, I mean, think- that's, I mean, literally what Hitler said was, we don't like, I can't remember what country it is. Czechoslovakia? What, was I think it was. Poland? Are you talking it was, about? It's like took Poland, over- Czechoslovakia. There was, there was, Sudetenland was full of German speaking people in a neighboring country. And so 
And so Germany was like, those people shouldn't live under the rule of non-Germans. Yeah. So we're going to take that land. So the German speaking people are all together. That's exactly what Putin is saying. In because Eastern, Eastern Ukraine, Ukraine, these are Russian speaking people. There's a lot people. of people who like Putin on East, in Eastern Ukraine. I mean, they did. Well, not, see, it depends on what reporting we hear is true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that's true, a big problem, true. right? Well, yeah. And Even I, if it's true, I don't know if I trust the people who are telling me. Don't you think that there should be something about the the closer you are to the conflict, the more responsibility you have to it? I mean, for instance. the more Well, I would say the more your personal interest. Yeah, the more your personal interest goes and up. And it, it feels like America was like, hey, give us all your money. But you have a lot of these neighboring countries and in Europe who wasn't doing jack squat. And we were yeah, the one bailing everybody out. doubled their... I mean, a couple of those countries, I think, have doubled their defense spending since Putin did this. That's great. Because they, they were coasting and they're like, oh, crap. But the question is, when does America, did America get involved in World War II at the right time? When do, does America get involved in a conflict like yeah. this? But, okay, but, but okay, think about I'm this conservative. Way, I want to wait. But think about it this way. Like, if right now F-16s yeah. are a capable defense, are like a capable actor in warfare, right? Like, we're, we're dismantling F-16s. To us, they're an obsolete aircraft. Yeah. Right. We're flying 22s. We're flying upgraded 15s and we're flying 35s now. And so like we're going to this like these stealth jets that could mm -hmm. like hover in midair and that kind of crap. Yeah. Six, the that's 16s sweet. are like literally I have a friend who's in his his, his very late 70s and he flew 16s. Oh. Like these are very old planes. Yeah. Right. If if instead of decommissioning them, we can give them to Ukrainian pilots that we can train. One, we're not training Ukrainian pilots that are going to then come and fight us because if they're flying F-16s, we can set a 22 F 22 can shut, can shoot down every single F it can, it can right. fight like 40 F 16s and win. Yeah. Okay. The Russians just don't have third generation level fighters. Yeah. And that's so, crazy. I, nobody knew that. Never, right. Well, and the other thing is, is that we're not, the goal is not to have air to air superiority or to fly into Russia and to be right. so right. So an F 16, if yeah. you fly that into Russia, their air to air systems can shoot that plane down. Mm -hmm. But if that F 16 is going to drop bombs on Russian soldiers that are they're in, in Ukraine, Ukraine, it can deliver those bombs. Stealth stuff doesn't right. matter. Right? right. So the F-16s that instead of us decommissioning multi-million dollar aircrafts, we yeah. give them to Ukrainian pilots who can fly them, who could drop bombs on on the ground soldiers. We can make it horrible is to that be a what soldier. we're doing, though. We're not giving any of our new. The last main equipment. things I main thing I understand is we were giving that technology to them. We were also giving them missiles that would fire on Russian troops that, that so we could outshoot hmm. Russian artillery that they're shooting like a bullet based projectile with gunpowder yeah. out of a long barrel. We're yeah. giving missiles that are self-propelled so we can, so we're giving them technology. They can outshoot Russian military because yeah. Russian military is famous since the 1970s, 60s or seventies of being really big, but not that accurate. So you can get, mm -hmm. it can shoot like 20 miles. It's even maybe it even farther than that and hit you hit like Kiev, yeah. but can't tell the difference whether it's hitting a military target or a school. It's yeah. just not that accurate. Yeah. Right. And so we're shooting missiles that are guided. Yeah. Right. And if we but we are not giving them the 400 mile missiles that can shoot right into Moscow because huh. we don't trust them not to do that and start World War Three. So. We're, so last I knew, yeah. we're trying to give them stuff where they can fight the fight in their country. They can take it to the Russians as hard as they can possibly take it to them without our troops, but with our weapons, mostly our weapons that are getting obsolete. Right. So we're decommissioning our obsolete weapons by sending them to war. We're not advancing war by putting in new weapons. Mm -hmm. Right. We're seeing how some new technological things that like can target or tell us where things are working so we can test some of our war weapons without having our troops in harm's way. Right. We're fighting a war that has to be fought without our people. But as I'm, I'm going to say strategically, there's some it all benefits. Makes sense. There. And I no, think Haley is right to I, say, look, we shouldn't just abandon that. I'm not arguing that there isn't strategic benefits. I'm just saying financially, the government in America is way too okay with spending whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want to. And mm -hmm. as a conservative, 
I think you look at Vivek and I say, I like that he's saying, no, you have to make choices and decisions. You can't, you, you can't just have whatever you want. You can't just keep taking and taking and taking and taking from the American people and spending it wherever you want to spend it. Oh, that's just yeah. not, no, that's not okay. Yeah. 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 Also, I, I totally agree with that. Do you think that this leads to world, a world war three or not? I think, I guess what I would say is this, as far as, Russia, I, as, far as I can tell, don't know, they have I the most a, nuclear weapons in the right. world. I think, I tend to think abandoning the Ukraine would lead to is world slightly war more likely to lead to nuclear war than fighting in Ukraine. You but don't think not, it would create a unified front in Europe that would push, push Russia back. I also don't know if you're, if yeah, but Russia I don't, think, has I don't a, think, I don't think that that unified force in, in Europe would seek to dismantle Russia as a country. And I think that's, I think that's what would lead to world war three. I think if they're like you, you are leaving the Ukraine mm-hmm. and I actually think that the Ukraine should be brought into NATO. Really? And I think the entire border with Belarus and Russia would have to be fortified. Yeah. But I, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I do think trying saying we're going to kill Putin. We're going to do regime change and all that stuff. I think that's probably destabilizing and, and, and debilitating the, the problem however is though is that russia um is so corrupt that they're not going to get a better leader probably next yeah right and so the problem is is therefore for russia is containment yeah and to not contain right a group that has to be contained is a big problem now and the other thing is this is that if we can contain russia and and China, we might be able to, in the long run, prevent World War III at least for another hundred years, because both countries' birth rates are so low yeah. that they're having a populational collapse. It's not going to be long before they can't fight anymore. You said you said Russia and Ukraine have low no birth- Russia and China. That's what I was saying. Our yeah. Ukraine has the same birth rate as all of Europe. Yeah. They don't yeah. have people either. Like right. this is the problem: is all of these has all of these industrialized yeah. countries are going through populational collapse right, right now. Right. Pretty soon, nobody's going to need any territory because they're going to be emptying out yeah. their own territory. They're going to need to figure out how to fill up their own. Space. Yeah, in a hundred years, we're going to be right. population collapse, not yeah. in population expansion. Right. Why do you need more land? That's what Elon's been saying. Yeah, why do you need more land if you don't right. have any people? Yeah. Well, well, the only way that I could see a World War Three breaking out is if it's not just Russia, but it's Russia, China, and Iran. Or the kind Russia of and China mid- in particular, yeah, yeah, yeah Russia and, and China and so, like, Middle so Eastern. Part of the thing is, is that part of it is Biden tied our hands here because when Biden pulled out of Afghanistan in with that level of c- catastrophe, now the United States is like three times humiliated. We didn't win in Iraq. We barely, we barely pushed ISIS out of a bunch of places. Yeah. Then we pulled out of Afghanistan, not even with and any in a, dignity, in a really stupid. And way. And we yeah. lost everything that we had mm-hmm. built for a decade in three days. Yeah. Okay, so what that means is, is that there was no capacity. We're not looking for good. for self rule built yeah. in Afghanistan. Yeah. Right now, now Iraq is still functioning, right? Which is nice. We don't hear much about that. Who knows what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> but they they completely lost their three hundred thousand person Christian minority. All those people had to leave. So there was mm-hmm. there was a lot of radicalization that happened after you took away, um, uh, Saddam Hussein because oh, Saddam, yeah, Saddam yeah. Hussein was a was a, um. He was a pragmatist. He wasn't a terrorist. Yeah. Right. And that was, that was, huh. it turns out pragmatists are better than terrorists. Yeah. Right. So because of Afghanistan, because of the show of weakness, um, it's no wonder that we have the problem we have with Putin. So I think if we get somebody in power like Haley now, cause Vivek is going to be like, I mean, he's a neophyte who knows what Putin's going to do if he's in power. If Haley's in power, then, then I, I mean, I, I would be, if I was him, I'd be like, okay, this person's serious. We have, there's somebody in America who's a serious person now. I think you don't think that about DeSantis. I think DeSantis too. Yeah, yeah. I think DeSantis could work. I, think, I mean, I think Trump too. I mean, I don't. I think I, Trump, Trump would work. I think 
I think probably Chris Christie would work. Chris Christie is a dick. Sorry, I, I can't stand Chris Christie. I think he's just a little. He's just. But a if sm- I had to send, he's a Democrat pretending if to be I had to go through a list of people that I would put in the room with Putin to negotiate this. Yeah, you you want a strong person. Yeah. But Vivek has ran like three multi-billion dollar companies. I mean, he's been in the room with powerful pharmaceutical people and he has, and he's only 37 and he has made his way. Like I, I don't, he, he, he might not. And he is, he's a, I'm sorry, out of everybody on stage, he is the smartest. I think he has the most brain power and capacity. He's an absolute genius. He's helped create five FDA approved, uh, farm, uh, medicines and he's he's a genius he's indian but we, we I mean, have no idea his personal involvement in those things it, 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 it was he went to yeah he went to harvard for law i think law school or something. and he's like it, you can't deny that he's incredibly smart he taught he talks uh, see i i see i i don't want to equate fluency with intelligence i mean listen to him on on long form podcasts with with uh jordan peterson with with barry weiss he he's he has good thorough I think he's, answers. I think he's really disciplined. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I do. I don't necessarily think that that is an equation to intelligence. Um, do I don't you think, know. That, do you think Shapiro's intelligent? Yeah. Yeah. I would but, put but I, but, like, on the no, no, same. I'm not saying Vivek is unintelligent. Vivek is probably the top 1% of intelligence. Yeah. Right. And obviously there's a big difference between 1% and, and t- one tenth of 1%. One, yeah. I think, but I also think that um, there's other people on that stage that are, that could be as intelligent as he is. Or they're plenty intelligent right. to do the working through of the thinking, but, running, but have other virtues yeah. that Vivek might lack, including experience. Yeah, in maybe, statesmanship. maybe. But Vivek, but Vivek's doing what all of them aren't doing in their campaigns is that Vivek's running a campaign where he doesn't talk down to the people and people are recognizing. So the the Republican campaign has been talked, talk stupid to stupid people. That's what Trump did. And he won in 2016. He talked stupid it, to stupid people. Yeah, he, he, that's what they say. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the, the idea behind the Republican Party is that you talk stupid. So they did a study on Trump's words, on what words that he used and how often he uses words. Uh, One syllable, two, three. And I think it was like 95% of the time he would use one syllable words. And then he would a couple times throw in two and three or three. And a lot of the middle-class Americans who aren't as educated but they that loved feels him. dumb to them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then, oh, who aren't as educated. Who yeah, aren't as educated. Him, yeah. They loved him. But then the left thought that he was an idiot because he only used one syllable right. words. But it's like, no. Right. Shorter he, words sounds like plain speaking. Exactly. He's not mm-hmm. an idiot. He's right. very smart. Nobody could. Oh, I agree. Trump is smart. Yeah. He, he doesn't need to use one syllable words, but he knows who he's talking to. But as the right. I over, think he does talk that way, but I don't think that that means he's dumb. Yeah. No, but I think he knows the words. I think he knows bigger words. And he like remembers if, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like for the stuff that he's not, doesn't appear to be briefed on. Right. There's he, a lot of issues. Like when people ask about it, he's like, okay, here's what's happening there. Right. But over the last decade, I think a lot of conservatives who were kind of okay with not knowing all the big words and just doing their thing, recognize how corrupt things were. And so over the past decade, a lot of younger conservatives have spent a lot of time with, with emerging media companies and people like Ben Shapiro and the daily wire that are more, focus on intellectualism rather than Fox news, you know, short paragraph and bite uh, sound bites and stuff like that. And I think a lot of younger people, younger conservatives have gotten smarter and it's, and it, it's birth yeah. of Vivek. And so the younger conservatives like Vivek and the older conservatives don't like Vivek. They like Trump and the, and I like Vivek because Vivek doesn't talk down to me. I, I want Vivek to tell me exactly what he's thinking. And that's what he's, I've seen that yeah. Vivek is like, here's exactly what I think about this. And I'm not going to compromise. Trump is, he does that, but he doesn't do it in a way that actually gives you the nuances and intricacies of a, an issue. He kind of yeah. gives you a general overview. And I'm like, I don't know how you're yeah. going to do that. Okay. My hope is 
that this whole Republican group will filter down to Haley, DeSantis, and Ramaswamy. And then we'll get to see all three of them interact. And yeah. when that happens, I think who might be the best for governance will emerge. I just find, I just do not think I would want to trust Vivek over DeSantis or Haley because both of them are seasoned people who have gotten things done. That's what you guys good like. Records. Yeah, old people like, like, like that stuff. So like, no, because, because Haley's not that old. She's in her fifties. That's right? old. That's, I mean, compared to Vivek, that's yeah, like but a the 20 other year two are, almost, are 80 or almost 80. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't right? like Most the Americans 80s. think that Joe Biden is too old to be president. I think that they're right. Right. And he's too feeble. Right. He's just too yeah. feeble to be president. Now, I, but however, I think less than 50, like you got to, you got to be careful about that too. Like so yeah. Haley, Haley has been the governor of a state. So she has that executive experience and she's been our premier foreign ambassador. Now, yeah, she that's did some a really good, stuff good resume. In, uh, what was it at the UN? I mean, she kind of. Yeah. And she worked with Trump. So I, I think that, so she has both of those right. groups of, right. And I think that DeSantis has been the governor of a larger state. And has led it to economic prosperity, made the right choices during COVID, and has fought wokeness appropriately. And though, yes. that, I think, is a really powerful triumvirate yeah. in where America needs to go. Yeah. So I think both of those people have like way more functional cred than Vivek. Yeah. I think Vivek is a better talker, but I don't think he's going to get... He, I think he could beat Biden in a one-on-one, but I don't think the Democrats are going to run Biden. Who do you think they're going to run? Newsom? I wouldn't be surprised if it was Newsom. I don't know who they have. They don't have many good options. The yeah, Democrats the pe- are what, I have, what I have heard from people is that they expect it'll be Newsom or Whitmer. Who's Whitmer? Whitmer know. is the Michigan governor. Oh, Gretchen Whit- Whitmer. Yeah, people hated it. I mean, didn't somebody try to like kidnap her? Was no, it? No, remember that was the scandal. Is that oh, the, the FBI, FBI was behind that? Oh my gosh! And then that dropped right during October to try to destroy Trump. Oh man! Yeah, no, that was an, That was why Vivek wants to. Disassemble the FBI. <laughs> I don't. I like that stuff. Yeah. When asking about the Department of Educa- Education, all of the three-letter agencies and stuff, he was like, "We need to dismantle it." Where all the other Republicans were like, uh, "All the other Republicans I, yeah. were like, well, we need. They just need new leadership." No, there's I, systematic I think, fundamental I think problems. I, I agree that most of them need to be dismantled. Not because I just think like, what what do those organizations do that can't be done at the local level now? Yeah, like we you have we have the internet. People yeah. can fly around in airplanes. There's experts everywhere. Yeah. There's nothing that has to be done at the federal level that couldn't be done at the state level. Nothing like literally, I mean, in education, like literally what has to happen. Like if there's some expert in Washington that any governor could fly that person in to do anything that governor wanted. How much was it? $80 billion that they spent on that. And he's like, well, he's one of his best points when he was talking to, when Vivek was talking with, with Mar, with Uh, uh, Bill Mar, with Bill Mar. Yeah. He said, he said, look, there's like 50,000 people in the FBI. 30,000 of them are at like Langley. They're not out like the U.S. Marshals investigating crimes and, and arresting people. He's like, it needs to be decentralized and it needs to be focused on crime and law enforcement in America that has nothing to do with politics. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably correct. Yeah. Here, so, I- but but I, there's a lot of, but I don't want to, again, like we're all limited in our qualifications on this. The question is like, who seems to be the best of the available options? Yeah. On the Republican side, I think it's Vivek, um, DeSantis and Haley, but I would do it in the DeSantis, Haley, Vivek order. Yeah. On the Democratic side, I don't think the possibilities have emerged. Yeah. I would love to see Tulsi Gabbard, even though she is independent. Yeah. To run on oh, that ticket, I think it would be good. And then I think we're going to see Newsom and Whitmer probably. And of them, I think Newsom is most likely to get the nomination. But I'm not sure. I think I think they'll either be a groundswell for Kennedy, 
And if that happens, then that'll be weird. Yeah. Or the the Democrats are going to promote somebody that just hasn't been conceived of yet. Right. If, if Kamala Harris is the person, I think that if we don't run Trump, she'll be beaten. And I think she might be beaten even if we do run Trump. I, yeah. Kamala can't win. Okay. My, my computer's telling me we've recorded so long that we're running out of space. Yep. I'll give you a quick update and then we'll be done. Yeah, we, we're um, gonna have to split this into two. Yeah, we'll split this up. But just got a, a inter, uh, just got an email that we I landed an interview with Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, what? Her new book, Five Lies of Anti Christian of, of Our Anti Christian Age. You so, like she agreed? She agreed to an interview. Here's what it says: Hi, Andy. Uh, Rosaria would be happy to do this with something on Thursday, October nineteenth, between three and five. Work. Whoa, she does two not, hours. She doesn't do a lot of interviews. I know, and this is her new book. Anyways, we need to wrap this podcast up. If you are listening still and you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends, leave us a five-star rating. We're going to try to do more book reviews in the future. If you have any book review suggestions, please send it to andy at optivenetwork.com. We'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye.